What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, everyone. It's Lindsay Rhodes, and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes, and we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. What is crackalacking, Hardwood Knox listeners? I am Dan Valley coming at you without my fantastic co-host, Adam Frommel. I am, however, as you can guess, super excited to continue our Team Look Ahead series. Our two teams today are going to be the Milwaukee Bucks and the New Orleans Pelicans. First up with the Bucks is Ty Windish. He is also from Blue Wire Pods. He hosts the Eurostep podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Ty Windish. That's at T-I-W-I-N-D-S-C-H. We have a great conversation. Another great conversation was had with me and Mason Ginsburg, who is also from Blue Wire Pods. He co-hosts the In the Know podcast and also provides some words for Bourbon Street Shots. On occasion, follow him on Twitter at Mason Ginsburg, M-A-S-O-N-G-I-N-S-B-E-R-G. We really go into the weeds on the Pelicans and what to expect from them. Both of these, as usual, they were a lot of fun. We hope you enjoy them. Before we get started, though, just our usual reminder, our usual plea. Rate, review, and subscribe to us wherever you're getting your podcast. Download every episode. If you are a first-time listener, we appreciate all subscriptions, ratings, reviews. Even if you don't use iTunes, though, please head over there. Search Hardwood Knox. Throw us that five-star rating. Write a review. Those help us out a bunch as well. We want to juice those numbers up. That's what we're asking. Begging, imploring, pleading. Please make me stop pleading. Head over there. Without further delay, though, let's get to talking some Milwaukee Bucks with Ty Windish from the Eurostep podcast and Mason Ginsburg from the In the Know podcast. Ty, welcome back to the Hardware Knox podcast. I was looking at the last time we talked because it feels like it was sort of recently and it was three months ago, actually. So that simultaneously took forever, but felt like it went by really quickly because I don't know what time is anymore. So how have you been doing over the past 90 days? For like the past 85 or like the 85 right after that or however many, maybe 80, I was just okay to bad. And then the last 10 or so, I've been really, really good actually. Um, Also, that being three months ago just proves that 2020 time is broken. I don't know if it feels like longer or shorter than it actually was. I just know it doesn't compute, but I'm doing really well right now, Dan. And thanks for having me back on. I'm wondering what, what happened within the past few days that made your life that much better. Was it, uh, you know, the big news about, I don't even know what the, I can't even come up with like a footnote news. Like, was it just knowing that Bobby Portis is back up center for the Bucks? You just, well, what, when they waved Nick Stauskas, that really comforted me a lot. I was worried that he would take up too much of the cap. Uh, <laughs> no, I think, uh, I think Giannis resigning is probably the big one. Uh, shouts to Sauce Castillo, though. <laughs> so I don't want to force you to um, belabor the point because I listened to the you, – you basically did two emergency episodes on it, but I listened to the first one. And so you reacted to the Giannis signing. 
Um, was that the end result you expected? Because the prevailing sentiment seemed like, oh, they gave up eight trillion picks for Drew Holiday. Like Giannis is coming back. But it took Giannis a little while to say that he was coming back. And I know he was on vacation and away from the team and stuff, but it did feel like there was the sense of, and just from the piece that was published at ESPN, I forget who wrote it. I think it might have been Malika Andrews and Winhurst, if I'm not mistaken. Um, it seemed like there was like some unease there, where it was they made that trade without knowing he was coming back, which, you know, I'll give my thoughts on the price that they paid for Drew later. I actually kind of respect the fact if they did that and didn't know Giannis was coming back because that's like the ultimate gamble. So I'm just curious as to one, are you surprised? Like at that point, so kind of close, I I guess put in air quotes to the deadline. Were you surprised it happened or was that just the expectation after you saw what they paid to get Drew Holiday? I was surprised. I was surprised it happened. I think, and I know we'll get into the very complicated off season that they, they ended up having, which personally, I still think a net gain for them this off season. I think they're better, but again, we'll, we'll get to the, some of the, roster moves and, and roster non-moves uh, in a bit. Um, but I was definitely surprised. And I think I, I realized this looking back the other day is if you go back to entering the bubble, there was so many points where you go, if X happens, Giannis is for sure staying, right? Like if they win the bubble title, he's staying. Or even if they go to the finals and have a good series, he's staying. Or maybe even a good Eastern Conference finals. But I still think they should win the East, but at least like a, a seven-game series, they lose in a close series. He's staying. They lose in the second round in horrible, hilarious, embarrassing fashion to the Heat, who just really trounced them. And then you go, okay, well, if they hit a home run and bring in, and I don't, they didn't, they didn't have any assets, quote unquote. Of course, they everything they did have, they basically shipped out. But you know, their news breaks that they get Drew and Bogdan Bogdanovich, who is apparently like Giannis's blood blood, blood brother and best friend, according to reporting. I, I think, I think all things Bogdan have been a little over exaggerated. Yeah, we did things. not hear about anything along those lines like before the fact, I don't think. If they had an Instagram live together and okay. everyone was like, "Oh, okay, they're friends. That's they're, they're friends in the league. That's cool." And then it's like like it's being reported by like everyone is like, "If he doesn't get bogged, he might just quit basketball. He loves this guy so much." So, okay. <laughs> um, but uh, obviously whatever happens happens there to end up with Drew and not Bogdan Giannis is again you know soulmate or whatever and so it's like okay so then you know the thing they needed to do again they didn't do so then like the last ditch thing was like maybe they get in the camp and they all click really well and Drew proves himself and and they run through preseason and Giannis is so energized he signs and like when he signed they were 0-2 and they had two like pretty embarrassing losses to the Mavericks and Drew didn't play well, especially in the first game. Um, again, it's like it's not nothing long term concerning, but it wasn't like this shot in the arm that's gonna convince somebody to sign. Like mm-hmm. it's not like they didn't like beat Dallas like one twenty to eighty with Drew putting up thirty five and holding Luca to two points. Like they they played okay and they they lost and Dallas is a bad matchup for them, but whatever. So that's the context, right? Like every time you thought you needed something to happen, it didn't leading up to this. So it's like okay, he's probably not signing at this point. Like, you got to prove it this season. There's going to be so much pressure. There's going to be so much media attention. And then, like, a random Tuesday, he just signs the freaking thing, which I don't think many people saw it coming. Um, the Bucks have been quietly confident all along, but who knows how much of that is just like, well, what the hell else are you going to say? I would love to rewind a week and see how actually confident that they were that he was going to resign. I think it had gotten a lot quieter. I feel like we were getting pretty, pretty conf- like pretty consistent reports. Like we're quietly confident. We think we we'll think we'll get him. We have some moves coming. Whatever. I feel like we hadn't heard a lot recently. 
Um, I do know that there was sort like there was some reporting of like there's going to be a meeting after this game or on this day or whatever uh, with Bucks owners and, and Giannis. So maybe that was the only holdup. I truly think he was thinking about it, especially his answers in the last press or the only presser he did before signing it. Um, but uh, it's certainly a surprise. It really goes to show like how lucky the Bucks got that Giannis is their superstar. Because I don't know how many guys with the tumultuous road leading up to this would have inked it. But Giannis did, and that's all that matters. Yeah, and I mean, he was clearly looking for reasons to stay. Like, that was yeah. just apparent all along, which definitely helped them. The I, I am a little bit surprised that he signed it, but I definitely think that regardless of whether he told them in the first day of the offseason that he was going to resign, I fully believe, knowing the competitor he was, and I mentioned this to you in the last podcast, I was hoping he would do it for the entire year, um, not to resign, just to like fuck with the future of other teams. He definitely did that a little bit this offseason. And I, I tweeted about that. And people were like, well, Kawhi did it first when he kept the Lakers on the hook. And I was like, okay, Giannis had like a quarter of the league basically on the hook this summer. You look at what the Mavs did. You look at what the Raptors did, what the Heat did. So I hope, and I'm just going to assume that he did, he waited on purpose. Um, yeah, he was probably evaluating his options, but he was like, oh, I'm going to help get BAM paid in Miami because the whole thing was, they share an agent, so show Giannis that you're going to take care of, of your own. I'm choosing to believe that that was actually what happened. The Drew stuff I find interesting, uh, before getting into, and I, I do agree with you, I think they are a net plus overall in the offseason, even though it was definitely a rickety offseason. The storyline now is they need to re-sign Drew, right? You gave away like that much future equity and yes you still have Giannis but if you don't re-sign Drew now you're a net negative from where you were before and yes Giannis is under contract so you're still fine unless he requests out but I'm not even going to get into like the nature of that that becomes a whole huge issue if a year from now or two years from now something like that happens like that'll need to be addressed we can't have these James Harden Paul George situations sign and then I'll force my way out like very soon I don't think that's what's going to happen but I do think like the move they make for Drew is that a price you pay I think it's a price you pay if you don't know about Giannis because he's worth that. But is it a price you pay if you're unsure what Drew Holiday is going to do in the upcoming offseason? I think no. Uh, I think the Bucks feel very strong. And this is not source. This is just reading tea leaves. But I think they. I think there's going to be a deal done. So I know it wasn't structured as an extended trade because I feel like there's some more limits on those deals. And I know now they have to wait a little while before they can do it because of the weird trade slash extension rules, but they can still extend him this year. They just need to, I think it's like February ish. They can sign him to a, a different extension outside of the extended trade rules. I think that's definitely coming. Um, there's like, I mean, obviously look at the, what the bucks gave up. Right. I and mean, of course there's a little bit of also the cost. Like part of the cost is like, again, the Giannis thing, right? It's like the Paul George thing. Everyone's going to clown the Clippers forever. And sure. It's fun. They're the Clippers, but like, they wouldn't have traded that in a vacuum just to get Paul George. You do that to get Paul George and to get Kawhi to come. So Yeah, the best I think, way I heard that phrase, and I think I've said this ad nauseum on the podcast, someone said Sam Presti found a way to trade Kawhi Leonard without ever having Kawhi Leonard. Basically, so. yeah. Like, that. That it was like the 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 I, – I can't say it better. That's perfect. So I think that was the same thing, right? Like, John Horst found a way to trade for Giannis re-signing in a way. I, I, maybe he still does, even if they don't get Drew. But at that point, like if you're running back Eric Bledsoe, I think maybe maybe his calculus changes a little bit on just how loyal he is. Um, we just knew that wasn't going to work. So, um, but I think that's part of it. But I do think like obviously the Bucks do value Drew. I mean, he was the central, the integral upgrade that they got to make the Giannis re-signing happen. He's their best player. They've acquired. 
in a really long time. If you look at like where Chris and Giannis were at when the Bucks actually got them, mm-hmm. very long time since they've gotten a player this good like from the gate. They don't have to develop or anything. And Drew seems to really like Milwaukee. I mean, he's been gushing about coming to the Bucks. He seems super excited. Um, I, I just think a deal makes too much sense to not happen, and I think there's probably a little bit of you know, nod, wink, like, we'll get to this when we can get to this after the extension window ends. So I agree with you. It would be disastrous if they let him go. I just don't think they're going to. I feel like now what needs to be determined is, like, what the actual number is. His max extension is, like, super, a lot of money. And, I mean, again, it's Drew Holiday. You're going to be in the tax anyway, whatever. If they have to do it, they have to do it. But I I think they're going to work out some sort of a deal to keep this core four, as I've been calling it, of Drew, Chris, Giannis, Brooke together for at least, I mean – their shortest contract there now is probably Brooks, or at least the next two years. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Well, Indeed is here to help. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need, you can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of, of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it, and fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer is valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. I agree with everything you just said. I would echo all of that. Uh, that's just, uh, there had to be some level of knownness to the deal, whether it was you knew that this was going to get Giannis to stay, but you had no idea on Drew or the other way around um, or both. Yeah. Maybe they just like knew that it was going to be both. The, are you looking at how it's going to play out? Are you comfortable with the price that they paid? I go back and forth on this because the future equity is a lot, but you have Giannis. Uh, you gave up a lot. But like Bledsoe's deal is a net negative at this point because we're talking three postseasons worth of samples of him just cratering uh, in when it matters most. Uh, at the same time, I do feel like with these deals, not that it can shift the entire tenor of it, but you want to try and get like the small wins wherever you can. And there would have been a way to structure it. Uh, I guess if they weren't planning on doing the Bogdanovich deal in tandem, where you could have probably kept George Hill. Like, I don't think that's a deal breaker for New Orleans. Um given all the pick equity that they got and maybe them not knowing what was going to happen with Giannis. Uh, and if it was a deal breaker, I mean, I guess the Bucks you can't walk away from that. But like, that's where it gets uncomfortable for me because they're just so shallow. As you said, though, you view them as a net plus. I have my own reasons for why I agree, but I assume they're going to overlap. So I just want to throw it to you on why do you think they're so decidedly a net plus compared to, to where they were before this trade? I think the simple answer is Drew Holiday, right? Like, I think if you get a player on that level, and I think a lot of people, there's not really a consensus on how good he is right now, and I get it. I really do look back to that series against the Blazers where I think he was, like, 28-8, and I want to say, in that four-game sweep, and, like, just an absolutely dominant pairing with a generational big man. And, hey, the Bucks have one of those. I mean, they're different players, but a lot of similarities. And, and Giannis can do a lot of the stuff AD does inside and around the basket. I think AD more of a polished back-to-the-basket big guy with a better jumper. But And Giannis is working on it. Giannis is always working on it. It's whatever. Um, but Giannis, you know, can be a hell of a roller to the rim, too. I mean, his pick-and-roll numbers are always amazing. So I think, like, getting a player who can elevate to that kind of level in the playoffs next to – 
Giannis, and importantly, next to Chris, too. I don't know how many upgrades are out there that Chris is not going to be in a deal, right? Like, I think uh, the James Harden stuff, which it was always laughable to think James Harden was going to be a buck. James Harden is never going to be a buck. Could we ever. just – the? I'm sorry to interrupt, but there are two things no. that are hysterical about that. Is one – he added them to his list, and I know players don't always think in these terms um, because it's not their job to. Not, be, I don't think they're stupid. I just, it's not their job. But the Bucks literally just traded everything in their their asset chest, and he names them. And also, he said Giannis was only good at basketball because he's tall. Basically, like that, I'm so confused. Giannis and Harden legit hate each other, and it's awesome. Like Giannis does not have that relationship with any other good player. He hates some random like scrubs for like international play stuff, but. <laughs> He does not hate any other superstar like he hates James Harden. Yeah, I just, I mean, he threw the ball at his face. Um, clearly, <laughs> on, so I'm just like, was I'm wondering if Harden was trolling? Was it a typo? Like, did did his agent plug it in the phone? Is you know he meant Minnesota, but it's at Milwaukee or, or my like he meant to put Miami twice? Like, I don't. Why was Milwaukee in there? I just found that hysterical. But please carry on. I'm sorry. To uh, I think it's the same. Like AD, if you remember, AD put the Bucks on his list too. I think the Bucks have now become like the. It's like kind of the anti-Knicks when you put them on a list. It's like our guy really wants to win and loves like winning teams and culture. So throw the Bucks on there, even though we all know they have no way of making this deal happen. And the guy is not staying at all. Right. Um, but but yeah, that's like there there was an idea out there for like three days. Like the Bucks should have not traded for Drew because then they could have traded for Harden. And I'm like, you have never seen an NBA transaction unfold. Apparently, that was never going to happen. Um, yeah, even if they like replaced Bledsoe with Middleton and gave up the exact same stuff, my my guess would still just be like Houston, like would have had better offers, and they would have waited. I'm assuming on Ben Simmons anyway. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And Ben Simmons trumps whatever the Bucks are going to do. Save Giannis, and that's obviously not happening. So. Um, that would have been so a good I, way to I maybe drive Giannis out of town too. It's been funny they think they're acquiring the finishing touch, and Giannis is like, "Yeah, I'm not signing the supermax." <laughs> you know what? Just trade me now. Actually, I was never <laughs> going to do this, but uh, I won't. I won't do this. Um, uh, but I think Drew raises their ceiling so much. Um, just having like an elite third player like that now, where like Brooke Lopez is now clearly your fourth player. Where really in last season, like during the run, he was their third best player. No question. Like he had to be number three and he was really, really good in the bubble. So it worked out sort of, I mean, it didn't really work out, but it kind of worked out. But I just think like having a guy like Drew who can break down defenses a little bit, dish a little bit. Um, I know he's not like Chris Paul or anything, but still can create his own offense. And that's, that's something they just needed desperately. He's not the pull-up shooter. Everybody wanted. I think you just have to compromise. Like if you're, if you have a chance to acquire a guy like this and there's not Another guy like this who fits better, I think you have to go for the worst fit, which ironically is kind of the same idea with Bledsoe. I just think luckily Drew is a lot better. And like the cost of the picks. So I, I hate saying this reported as like the AD Hall because that's just like hilarious because the AD Hall, the centerpiece, was the fourth pick in a draft. This one, it was not the centerpiece, but like the only current pick was a 24 pick. So a little bit of a difference there. It is two unprotected firsts and two swaps. So Considering the Bucks will have Giannis for, I think, all of those years except one, you would assume the swaps probably don't happen, so they give up two bad picks. Hopefully, a lot could go wrong, but if I have to give up, like, let's say one bad pick and one okay pick and even one swap to get Drew, Chris, and Giannis and Brooke Lopez for the next however many years, like 10 times out of 10. I just don't care about 2027. I don't care about whatever 11-year-old currently is going to be picked that year with the Bucks pick. I just don't. I'm sorry. I don't care about it. I would do it every time. They had no assets except those assets. They literally emptied out the cupboard. And I just think it's one of those where 
New Orleans probably had him kind of, you know, in a bad spot leverage-wise. I know other teams wanted Drew. So I think the Bucks made sure they got the deal done because if you don't get that deal done, then all of a sudden you're in a real dark place where it's like, DeMar DeRozan? I guess like <laughs> there wasn't a lot of great options out there. And if, if the, if the options are overpaid for drew or have to, you know, get into the DeMar DeRozan sweepstakes, I think I'll go with the overpay for drew. Yeah. And I, I'm pretty much with you uh, in lockstep um, the entire way. The, I think what there might be a discrepancy on is how much better drew is than Bledsoe. Yeah. And you could probably compare them defensively, but even then drew holiday just gives you more, um, optionality when looking at who he could like Eric Bledsoe can't defend wings like maybe you could put him on ones and twos fine Drew can guard threes and no he can't guard every three which is probably a like a, a problem with this roster that they need to look at at some point um, so I, I'm just one I'm tripping up because Rudy Gobert just signed a 205 million dollar extension oh. with the Jazz uh, which is an awful lot of money um, is that Supermax? Uh, no, it's not quite there, but it's it's very close. So uh, it's more than I was expecting him to get. Good for players getting their money, but that is uh, that is quite the decision by the Jazz. Uh, they kind of had team. to, right? They kind of had to. They absolutely did not have to. Is my thing. I, he's not like replaceable, but I would have I would have chanced it into free agency if that if it two hundred million dollars oh, yeah. was the price. Uh, generational defender. There are a lot of Jazz people that listen to this podcast. Good for Rudy Gobert. That's all I could say. It'll be interesting to see how that deal ages. Um, but so with Drew, so there's the defensive stuff. And then the other thing for me is he's just not, I, he had like looking at the bubble specifically, like, yeah, he had some rough moments in there, but he's just eminently better on offense in the postseason. He's a slightly better shooter um, or a lot better shooter off the catch. He's going to probably hit more pull-up triples than that. He, I would say Bledsoe probably has like more burst than him at this point, but like you don't need um, Drew necessarily create from scratch a ton. Uh, you just actually need him to be a better outlet for Chris Middleton and Giannis, I would say. So I, I think it's a, it's an upgrade there. Uh, and look, that's where the Bucks have stalled out. Like they're they were incredible during the regular season, but they've have stalled out. The past two playoffs, I feel like have been wake up calls. And so now you have a guy where no, I don't know. Like I feel like he's I don't want to say he's solvable like Bledsoe. He's definitely not solvable to that extent. And so it is really an appreciable upgrade. I just going from Bledsoe to Drew. And for me to even say, you know, was it worth it to give up Hill as well as the picks? If you're looking at just the players, because as you're saying, you don't care who the Bucks were going to draft in 2027 right now. Like, this is about Giannis, and I fully agree with you. Hill and Bledsoe, like, that's not amounting to Drew for me either. Hill's shooting is just absurd, but uh, he sort of, like, before last season, kind of struggled to put together some consistency anyway. When you look at, you know, he was, like, hot and cold with the Jazz. He was his time with the Cavs. I don't even, he was, like, playing for all these. The Kings was, like, such a mess, too. So they definitely paid a premium, but I think Drew makes them a lot better, at least in the playoffs. Maybe not in the regular season because they're so shallow now, but I would say in the playoffs, they're just a, a much more dangerous team with him. Yeah, and that was really the whole goal, right? I mean, that's all. I mean, that's uh, how, how often have Bucks fans and probably everyone been like, nobody cares what the Bucks do in the regular season. Like, nobody cares if they're going to run off 60, 65 wins in an 82 game pace. Like, it, like, no one's going to respect them for that anymore. Like, it's just not impressive to people, right? I mean, some people, sure, it's nice. But, like, everybody's saying the same thing. We need to see it in the playoffs. And now, finally, they seem like that's the organization's impetus, too, is to prove it in the playoffs. And the, the one last thing I'll say on Bledsoe, which, I mean, first, good guy, good player in the regular season. Like, shouts to Eric Bledsoe. But, like, I've said, and I, I'm not the only one who watches the Bucks closely, like, 
if the Bucks had gotten regular season, like the best of regular season Eric Bledsoe in the playoffs consistently, they at least have one championship probably over the last two years. Like he was so, so bad against Toronto, a series that was a lot closer than people remember, very nearly a 3-0 Bucks lead. And I don't even think the Bucks could blow that one against them. And like, again, like a closer series than people remember if looking back, like all of those games pretty much were close down to the wire. Very good Bledsoe. I think that overwhelms Toronto and even getting out coached, the Bucks would just be too good. Um, and that's, they're going to need to be able to be out coached and just be too good. That's still something they're going to need to do. But like Drew is better than very good regular season Eric Bledsoe. And there's no evidence to suggest he won't be that guy in the playoffs. We have the ob- opposite evidence. So yeah, I, I just think it's like, it's really hard to, to measure if you're like not up close to the Bucks and you're just like Drew Holiday, Eric Bledsoe, kind of a horse apiece. And I, I see people saying that. I, I get the logic, but it's like up close and personal seeing Bledsoe in the playoffs from far away, seeing Drew in the playoffs. I don't think there's even a comparison. It's like night and day for effectiveness as a player. So, yeah, I just think being able to do that makes it worth almost any cost. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager on than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division odds, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word, at BetOnline.ag. That's Blue Wire, all one word. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. And the other thing, too, is like looking at some of Drew's, I don't want to call them struggles, but maybe limitations in New Orleans, just overstrained as someone who spent a lot of time um, on offense as the number one option, probably less yeah. so than normal last year, like even in a non Davis year, just because Davis isn't going to initiate the offense. Like, a, um, I don't even want to say Alonzo, like an Ingram. So just being in Milwaukee where you have. Chris Middleton and Giannis Antetokounmpo and even Dante DiVincenzo like that just helps out a great deal. So I would expect him to be, you know, maybe his offensive numbers drop, but I would expect him to be more efficient, um, especially amid the buck spacing and just have more energy to expend on defense because he kind of slipped off the ball last year. Um, according to Pelicans Twitter, um, I thought he was still just as like really good on the ball watching him, but I probably don't watch enough Pelicans to say that with definitiveness. So that has to help him too. My next question for you, though, is still in that plus offseason, what is your impression of how they rebounded from the Bogdanovich snafu? Like, I don't even know what we call this. Uh, someone got a little bit too giddy and decided that, you know, this needed to be broken before it was legal to do so. And more than that, like, to be more specific, who do you think were, like, the best new additions or the, the most important new additions of their, you know, the their rebound group, you know, looking at Craig, uh, Forbes, Augustine, Portis, et cetera? First, the Bogdan thing, I've now, there's been some reporting from national outlets that, like, he didn't want to be the fourth guy behind Drew, Chris, and Giannis. Like, he wanted to be him, Chris, and Giannis, which, if that's the case, like, you know, use some of that Atlanta money to reevaluate, like, you're standing in the league, Bogdan. Like, again, fine player, like, 13 points per game. Like, relax, buddy. Relax a little bit. Um, but how they did on the rebound, I think DJ Augustine is critical, and I think that's one they probably were going to get either way, considering he took like a small portion of the MLE. I think they would have been able to use roughly the same portion, even if they got Bogdan. So like I thought that was a really good addition for them. 
I was honestly, I, it was funny because a lot of people were like, before it got reported that the third year is like barely guaranteed, like a hundred K or something very small. Um, a lot of people were like, that seems like a big overpay. And I was like, really? I, I feel like full MLE for a guy who's been until last season, like a legitimately fine starter who can like really is a very good shooter, especially in the playoffs. He's been like 40% the last two years, I think, which is again, another one of those things the Bucks just really need. Right. And he can lead an offense from the bench. Like I thought that was a really nice pickup for them. Again, it's like, it's not a name that excites anybody. It's not literally Bogdan Bogdanovich. But DJ Augustine is like a really nice sixth man, I think, for the Bucks. And I think, honestly, even if George Hill is a better off-the-catch shooter, on very low volume, that's the one thing with George Hill. Like, he didn't take a lot of threes last year when he did lead the league. But, like, I think Augustine will be a little bit better at creating offense for others. And that's something they really, really need, especially with the kind of ragtag group of, of other relief players they have. But... I think a lot of people are going to laugh at me. I'm super excited about Bobby Portis. Like, I think this is a great opportunity for Bobby Portis. I don't expect Bobby Portis to play great defense. I actually think if they have him play, like, simplified drop as a pure center, it might help him a little bit just because, I mean, it's not easy. Like, Brook Lopez's job is super hard. But, like, they're not going to have him play four. They're not going to have him chase perimeter players that much, I think. Like, just stay around the basket and get in the way, big fella, and don't foul out. But his offense already has just been super fun to watch. And it's one of those where... When Buck, when Bud does go to those all bench lineups, like it's kind of nice to just be able to know, like with DJ Augustine and Bobby Portis out there, you got some offense. Like you're always going to be able to create some sort of offense. I mean, Bobby doesn't even have to be open to take the damn shot. Like Bobby Portis likes shooting, and I like that about Bobby Portis. Like they needed that on their bench. Like last year, like George Hill, Pat Connaughton, you know, all these guys. Like they're sort of fine wing players, but they're not really like they're not going to create their own shots a lot, or at least not very well. So. It's kind of nice to have somebody who can do that. And the rest of the new wings are basically just like, we'll see. I mean, like Forbes, if he can hit 40% of his threes, he'll be really good. We'll see if he can do it. Torrey Craig is interesting. And, and I think I'm I'm thinking I'm cannibalizing your next question and we can just go right into it. But like Torrey Craig, I think a lot of people are enamored with. I'm not sold yet. I think he's going to have to become a little bit more of a shooter to have that much utility. But apparently he's like a really useful multi-positional defender and it's nice at least that they have guys who are like really good at one specialized thing as opposed to pat Connaughton, who's just kind of like some nights does some things well and other nights you're just like please never play pat again <laughs> i so a few thoughts there i think the thing with augustine is he's 33 and his pull-up three declined a lot last year i would expect him to shoot better off the catch because again his job is now a lot easier I think what my issue with that deal was why couldn't they guarantee more in the third year to maybe get a lower price now, which would have then left them with more money to use in free agency. Um, that seemed a little weird to me. I also just don't, I'd be, I'd be curious to just see how he holds up in the playoffs. He's just so small. Yeah. Um, and that's a question for me. The, the addition that I like the most and you're, you're spot on about Craig, if he can have like a, a season like Bruce Brown did last year where he shot really well in the corners, uh, that would make him more playable, but his shooting is just so off that it makes it tough to keep him on the floor. And if you're going to have Giannis on the court, like you're kind of already down like one uh, shooter, like, yeah, he'll take them, but is he going to hit them in a league average clip? I like the Forbes signing the best because I think they're probably, they're, they are better built to cover up for him defensively than the Spurs were last year. He shot 39.5% on catch and shoot threes, 39.6 on pull up threes. And so when you see like the pull-up percentage match to me, the catch and shoot percentage or, or even rise above it, like it did here slightly, 
um, I kind of automatically think like, well, that guy's going to be really good in a situation that generates better spacing and higher quality looks for him. And so that was actually my favorite signing for them. And I think he's going to be more valuable to them insofar as, you know, Bud actually plays him. Uh, I think he can be more valuable to them than DJ Augustine. Uh, Bobby Portis, I've seen too. I, you're, you're not going to sell me on Bobby Portis. <laughs> I, know, I, I, I know. get, I Next, get the idea yeah. of, Hey, he can shoot threes. Um, and I'm assuming he'll hit them in a fine clip in Milwaukee, but like his vision for the hoop is like too tunnel for me. Like where, if he's going to put the ball on the deck, if he's going to try and do these weird post-ups, maybe that won't happen in Milwaukee. And he cost like, he was cheap enough where it's not like this huge deal, but I'm also like kind of sitting there wondering like, why did Bobby Portis get the biannual with a player option after the season he just had? I, I just don't see it. So they've Bucks just made love player options, man. That's the answer there. It's the second part. The Bucks love player <laughs> options. Uh, so I don't have. I think relative to what they were working with, they did fine. The Augustine deal, I think they could have structured better to give themselves more options on the free agency market. But as you said, um, sort of to my next question is like, how is this secondary wing rotation shaking out now? Because it wasn't really great to begin with. And I, I said this to you in the email. I look at their secondary wing rotation and Pat Connaughton is alarmingly important to this team. Yeah, so Buck's Twitter is currently like revolting. Um, they're, they're rioting about Pat Connaughton. They already want the second round picks to play more than Pat Connaughton, which no way that happens until like mid season. And the only way it does happen then is if Pat continues to play really poorly, which I don't think he will. And, and those guys play really, 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 really well, which Sam Merrill, 60th overall pick. I mean, the guy is a freaking flamethrower. He shot like 55% from three in preseason. He might actually get some minutes. Wara, I think, is going to be a little bit slower to come along, but we'll see. Merrill already played more as of the third preseason game, the third and final one. But as for the backup, or the reserve wing rotation, I think one positive sign for Forbes is they're already starting to kind of run the Corver plays that they would always do for Corver. Like, they're really they're looking for him. Like, they're having him run through elevator doors, kind of. They're having him like they're setting a lot of off-ball screens for him. So I think already we're kind of seeing some evidence that like Bud is. I mean, Bud's always been a fan of guys like that. I mean, Corver. I mean, however many, however I don't know how many times Bud has called for a Corver pin down in his life, but it's a lot. And I think Forbes is going to start to see is going to see those as well, which is good. Um, I think the same. Just quickly to go back, the same reason that you mentioned with Forbes, like about they can cover for one guy. That's my DJ Augustine optimism too, right? Like if anyone's out there with. Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Giannis, and Brooke Lopez, like you can cover for one bad defender if he injects some real spacing into that group, and that spacing is going to be super important. So that's why I think taking a swing on two guys like that who are nobody's going to look at them and go, they're an elite defender. They're both pretty small and, and not great there. If they can hit threes, it'll it'll I think work out for the Bucks. But I think we're going to see some hot hand stuff like Bud did two years ago, honestly. Like whoever's on a roll is going to play and then it's going to kind of shift around after that just based on matchups and kind of it's it's going to feel a little random at times like there's going to be games where Tory Craig plays five minutes and everybody's mad because Pat played 15 and there's going to be times when you're going to see you know the other guys play more I think Forbes right now is doing good to establish himself as more of a real role I think just getting those pinned down showing that he's kind of being emphasized more than the other guys but we'll see how it shakes out in the actual season I do think we're going to see a lot of Pat early and that could go either way uh I think the contract is bad. I'm not here to justify the contract. I think he's like a fine reserve wing. Like I don't think he's a bad eighth or ninth guy. It'd be great if he played more than that, considering the resources allocated to him. But it really all depends, I think, on the jumper and how 
patient he can be defensively. He is basically known for any pump fake or not, just like jumping behind guys. <laughs> yeah, it's like he just loves jumping, and I get it. Like if I could jump like that, I'd probably jump more too. He's a really impressive jumper, but he's just gotta like he has all the tools to be like a pretty good defensive wing or uh, reserve wing. He just needs to put it all together more. Yeah, they need one or him, and we'll get to Dante DiVincenzo. Like, one of those yeah. dudes needs to shoot better from three. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to need, like, sort of, sort of a bat signal when Bryn Forbes is on a on a heater in Milwaukee now. Because I just assumed that um, Bud wasn't going to play him enough um, because they signed DJ Augustine. But if they're using him like that, uh, I'm going to need you to, like, alert me to that on Twitter so that I, I can I, watch it. I don't think he's going to get a ton of minutes, but I do think he's going to play, like, a decent amount every game, maybe, like, 18-ish. And, yeah, like, in those 18 minutes, they're going to try and force-feed him threes. I really hope we see – we haven't seen a lot yet, but Giannis didn't play the third game. Like, they would do two-man actions of Giannis and Korver last year that, like, just broke defenses. Like, it's really hard to – like, in in the moment, like, do we double Giannis and not let him roll? Do we stick with Korver? Like, this is, like, terrifying – because they're both like the opposite threats. I hope we see some more two-man game with Forbes and Giannis. But yeah, I'll, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll let Twitter know when we're in the middle of a Bryn Forbes heater. Oh, maybe some Bryn Forbes, Giannis pick and roll with Giannis yeah. as a screener. Yeah, yeah. I would, I'd appreciate um, some of that. I kind of had the same question about the secondary big man rotation, except um, there's fewer bodies to parse. Yeah. And so are they just penciling in like Bobby Portis and DJ Wilson are going to play a ton of minutes? Or do you think the shallow well of bodies at the four or five spots means, well, maybe we'll see more Giannis at the five since those lineups were so effective last year. And then maybe we see more of Chris Middleton um, play up. Are, are we planning on Tanasis just getting a bunch of minutes at this point? Tanasis might play. Tenasis is that part legit. of the, is that part of the super max agreement? <laughs> it might be. I will say if you want to go deep down a bucks rabbit hole, I think on Greek heritage night last year against Denver, the Bucks started Giannis and Tanasis and Tanasis against Denver. Tanasis freaking clamped Jokic for like six minutes to start the game. And the Bucks go out to a huge lead and then they didn't play him for the rest of the game and the Bucks lost by a lot. And after the game, I was like semi-seriously, semi-drunk tweeting like, maybe Tanasis should have played. Maybe we did need more Tanasis. Um, I don't think he's as bad as people think. I think he's like a fine 14th to 15th guy. But we might see some real Tanasis minutes especially before like March or whenever they can add a 15th guy under the hard cap with prorated minimum. So I do think we'll see that like that's going to I think what they're going to do really is wait and see what part of the team is the weakest and then try to address it with that 15th spot, which they're certainly going to use that when they can. They just can't yet. But I definitely think the plan right now is more Giannis at the five and then Bobby Portis also as the backup five. So if you split the five minutes between Brooke Lopez, whenever he's out there, which is like 30 minutes a game, Bobby Portis, and then Giannis, I think kind of depends on matchup. Um, that gets you to certainly enough minutes at the five, probably more than enough. So the four is the bigger question. I think that's one of the biggest questions on the team is who's going to play there. I think we're going to see some real like DJ Wilson opportunity, and I'm not opposed to it. He's looked better in the preseason than he has in the past. The jumper is still a little bit of a liability, but he's finally passing the ball, which if you look at his assists per 36 for his career, it's like one, maybe two. He racked up four <laughs> assists in like 24 minutes. got that Hassan Whiteside assist, right? Basically, yeah. Like he pretty much would get the ball and just shoot it. Like imagine Bobby Portis, but just very bad. And that was the DJ Wilson experience. Now he's actually like he's handling a little bit. Like I don't, he's not an offensive hub, but he's like he's a spoke, right? Like he's connecting parts of the offense. That opens up a lot for the team and for him. And that all of a sudden, if he's going to hit – 
some threes and be able to like actually move the ball and pass against other fours, then you can see him playing with Giannis a bit more, especially if he can hit those corner threes. So I do think we're going to see DJ Wilson. I think there's going to be minutes for him, and they're going to just see what they have and see what he can do. Um, he's shown he can be a good defender for sure. It's all about the offensive end for him. We'll probably see some Tanasis. Like if somebody's out, I think we're going to see Tanasis. That'll be fun. I mean, nobody plays harder than Tanasis and Tedekumpo at all times. But that is the rotation. We might see some Chris at the four. I think they'll do that. I don't think they love it, but I think they're like fine with it. Um, I, I do think we're going to see a better defensive season from Chris this year. He looks a lot sprier than he has before, which is fun. He's like been getting a lot of deflections, and I do wonder if they want to going to keep want to keep him on smaller wings more, which maybe. But I, I don't think he's like too weak to hang with a like Tobias Harris type players either. Yeah, there's probably some fours would like end up being problematic for him, but it's just they're so sparse there that and I don't yeah. even, like how does DJ Wilson match up defensively with fours? Like because fours are now basically wings though in a lot of situations. Like he's going to be fine against a Tobias Harris type. I think he's going to be okay. I mean, I think Tobias is going to get some wins against him. I think he's a little bit better at players like that than he is against stronger players. Like okay. He's still not like the biggest guy. He's still more of a, I would say, three four than four five for sure. Like, and not a great rebounder either. Like when they played against the Pelicans, like Zion was just rampaging. Like they played DJ at center, and it was like Zion was just getting open layups. Like he was just way too strong. And of course, Zion's practically a one of one. But like, yeah, he's like a slab of marble. Exactly. Yeah, it's, there's nothing a lot of guys can do. But like DJ played really good defense against Blake Griffin two years ago. Bucks fans still talk about it. I think it was a little fluky, but um, I think players around his body type, he's going to be okay at. I think really fast guys or really big guys are going to be a problem. And knowing the Bucks, like they'll match him up on both across the regular season because Bud just like doesn't seem to care. But hopefully by the playoffs, they're not putting him on like you know a Paul George kind of player. I, I don't <laughs> think that would work very well. But you never know. Uh, I would predict that that would end quite poorly for them if that is the situation <laughs> well, that they're facing. Playoff P, maybe it would actually work out pretty well. Who knows? Pandemic P. Playoff P was actually pretty good. Um, so I actually looked up while you were talking. I was surprised that I didn't realize they played Middleton at the four for almost 800 possessions, um, most of which came alongside Brooke Lopez at the five. I would have just thought that he would be the four with Giannis at the five. Um, in the time he was with Giannis at the five and he was the four, or just with Brooke, the Bucks absolutely destroyed opponents, and they were a lot better on defense than I thought. Because my assumption would be that Chris is struggling with like the bigger type wings than he compared to like the twos and the the pure threes. So maybe that is something to watch for. And if if he can give you minutes as like the the backup four, even though you don't necessarily want to like refer to that, that I feel like that makes me feel a lot better about their rotation overall, because I know that Giannis can soak up backup five minutes, even if people think they shouldn't do that in the playoffs because he can be overmatched i guess in certain defensive instances or it doesn't allow them to cater i guess to how they want to use him defensively sometimes uh but if chris can play like some four for them i think that ends up being sort of huge but they might actually just need him to defend more of the super true wings i'm guessing because wes is gone and there are just going to be wings that you don't want drew holiday to go up against like who's defending kevin durant on this team right now is it drew's done it but like they tend to want to put Giannis on not yeah. the primary option so that he can literally just end possessions like everywhere else. Uh, but mm. like, does that fall to Chris? Do they use Drew there? Or like you said, you think it's going to be Giannis? I, no, I hope Giannis. Okay. I wouldn't say I think it's going to be Giannis. I would love to see as one of the, I mean, that Bud has talked about being, and I know it's like broken record, whatever, this happens every year, but he's talked about trying more things and like varying defenses more. I would love to see as part of that, 
letting Giannis be more of a stopper. And I think the best chance for that and like the most likely outcome is like Giannis being like, yo, I want to do this. Like I'm sick of playing off ball. And he sounded a little pissed off when they asked him sometimes about like, why are you not guarding guys? And he's like, you know, ask the coach. Like, I'm just doing what the coach says. So hopefully he's, you know, kind of throwing that weight around a little bit. Like, listen, like I want to guard guys. Like I can play defense because I mean, like, like if you just look at defensive profiles, like who would be a better Kevin Durant defender than Giannis, as long as he doesn't get in crazy foul trouble. Like nobody else is really long enough. I think to bother him. Chris does. Okay. Um, like in the conference finals two years ago against Toronto, Chris was actually doing, and, and Brogdon too, but Chris was doing pretty well against Kawhi. Like what really killed them, if you go back and watch it, like we did this at Eurostep. We watched every game and potted one for each game as called it binge the Bucks. It was the worst experience ever. I mean, we did the whole playoffs. The first nine games were great. That series was tough. But like Chris is like holding up. Kawhi is taking and making some tough shots, but not really enough to beat you. And then the Bucks start like collapsing their whole defense and like just not even bothering to cover Fred Van Vliet, who's like shooting 90% from three at the time. And it, it was brutal to watch. But like Chris is a better defender now than I think people think. Like he kind of swung both ways. Like he came up as a three and D guy and everybody thought he was like Andre Roberson when he was never really that good. He was just very good. And then he kind of did fall off for a year or two. And I think now people are like, oh, he's basically Tobias Harris on that end like a fine player who's just kind of there. They seem to overrate his defense like earlier and then underrated his offense where it's like, no, he's not three and D because self-creation is literally this huge part of his game. (laughs) That's why I don't like the clay Thompson comps that always inevitably come up with Chris. Cause I'm like, he's such a different player than clay Thompson. Like he doesn't do either of the things clay Thompson does as well as clay Thompson, but pretty much anything else I'd give the edge to Chris. It's hard to compare them, but regardless, like, yeah, Chris can, Chris can guard some fours. And I think, he will do that a lot, but I do hope at least in the playoffs that we get more of like, okay, like if it's Brooklyn, like Drew is on uh, Kyrie and Giannis is on KD and let's just like, let's just make them beat our best guys. That's the thing that kills me about the Bucks. Like so many of their problems are these crazy schemes and everything when it's like they have the players to just like make them beat your players and see if anybody can. I don't know how many teams could, but they have elected to do more of the weirdo stuff and it's often not worked. The sort of next thing I wanted to hit is the, and we kind of touched upon this already, is the notion that like people have made jokes, but the shallow, the shallower rotation does it like almost help them in the postseason because it forces Boonholzer to not watch Giannis's minutes like where he needs to play twenty nine uh, in you know a make or break game for them. Everything is make or break for that. So is there actually something to that theory of? Okay, again, the regular season might be more tenuous, but in the postseason, the Bucks they're forced to be better because Boonholzer can't really mess with the rotation as much. Or is that just a license for him to be like, no, you know what, um, fucking Cam Reynolds, come on down, <laughs> like you're getting postseason minutes, like. Cam, unfortunately, waved now. Oh, um, I did not see be, that. It would be uh, like Mamadi Diakite, you're in. Tanasa's time, baby. Um, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't put anything past Bud. I do think there might be some truth to it. Like, I don't think he's going to play 10 guys if he doesn't legit trust guys 8 through 10. Like, I really do think that's part of their issues. Like, I don't think he's that dedicated just to, like, the art of playing 11 guys. I just think he felt like their 11 guys were too good not to play. And I don't know if he'll feel that way anymore. Um, I think the interesting thing about just the minutes thing, it's I don't think Giannis is a good bellwether because Giannis gets like legit exhausted. They need to play him more. I think part of that, he needs to figure out how to conserve some damn energy, which he just plays at 1,000% all the time. And I think it makes it hard for him to play a lot of minutes. But you'd much rather have like 
30, 32 minutes of try-hard Giannis and then another eight minutes of, like, Giannis kind of coasting and resting on the court. Like, LeBron is the best at this, right? Like, a thousand-year-old LeBron can play 48 minutes if he has to because he'll play really hard for 24 and he'll just, like, intimidate teams for the other 24. Like, Giannis needs to learn how to do that. Chris is the right bellwether. Chris is the one where look at his minutes and determine if Bud is fucking up or not. I, I've so it's so I I haven't sworn on a pod in a while. That was fun, but Chris can play as much as ever. Like you don't see that much of a difference. Like he got super exhausted by the end of the Miami series, but in a usual context, like Chris can play forty plus minutes pretty easily. Like if he's not getting forty minutes on this team in the playoffs, I think that's a problem. Like <laughs> that, or they're blowing everybody out. I guess, but yeah, 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 sure. I mean, like first round against whoever, then yeah, whatever. If they're beating Atlanta by a thousand points, sure. But in a in a close series. Chris should be at 40 minutes because he's like his plus minus for them has been super impactful. Like they usually when Chris and Giannis especially are out there, they just destroy teams and then they just don't play them enough. So and and with Chris alone, usually they can at least tread water like he's good enough for that. So they need to play Chris a lot. That's going to be the big thing to look at. Like if Chris plays 35 minutes in a close loss, that's really bad. <laughs> I would agree. Uh I wanted to ask you about Brooke Lopez too. Is he sort of, I don't know, maybe I said, I phrase it as under the radar swing piece, but it's, I feel like it's not too under the radar. He's 32, coming off a monster defensive season, but he didn't shoot the ball well from three for most of the year. Was at 40%, uh, the closing kick of the regular season, almost 20 games, almost at 40% throughout the playoffs. Still shot 31.6% for the year on wide open threes, which was the worst mark among all players who took at least 150. This is my roundabout way of saying, I feel like there's a chance he could regress. And even if his shooting like is still as topsy turvy as it was last year, like it kind of puts the bucks in a really awkward situation because they don't have like all this front court depth now. And so, yeah, Brooke Lopez's defense is important, uh, but if his offense is like any, like if it's just less at all, like if he's just not shooting the ball, well, it really does hamstring what they're doing. And so is that at all a concern or do you view his closing kick as more representative of his normal? It's hard to say what's more representative. I think the most important thing with Brooke Lopez this year, and I think we know what we're getting on defense still. I, I think he's going to be that guy for at least a couple more years um, because quickness is so not a part of it. Although I do think they should play him in more traditional sets too where he has to be a little bit quicker. Like I would like to see – there's a lot. There's like this notion out there that Brooke can only play the drop. I don't think that's true. Um, feel free to correct me if I'm wrong. I don't really have access to most of the numbers, but I think – He's like been fine-ish when he's on the perimeter. When he does end up out there having to guard someone, I don't think he's gotten like just brutally killed. But no, he's not. His stance him. is like so low to the ground, so wide. He's just and it, it's funny because like defense was not his strong suit um, when no. he was in Brooklyn. Like having like he always got blocks for the most part, but like it was sort of just a running joke that he wasn't that great at defense. And then he goes like leaves Brooklyn and becomes like a, he was almost was he all defense this year I don't even remember he was all but, defense yeah, yeah so he was, he was all, all defense. defense like that's just absurd yeah it is I think him and Bled were both second team and Giannis was first team if I remember right uh, and the Bucks have been the best defense the last two years um but yeah uh Brooks still gonna be bringing on that end I think the other end and I think what changed for him it was basically the bubble where he shot really well like he was used more in general and I think his shot went with that I think that's important for him and he, I don't think he's really talked about this or anything but like, he was, like, just being used a lot in the bubble, obviously, especially when Giannis would go down. So, like, he's scoring 20 points per game. Maybe six of them are on threes. 14 of them are on, like, 
pick and rolls. He'll just drive against some big guys. Like he has this big looping hook shot, kind of like Robin, but not as it's not as much art as Robin Lopez's was or is he still plays, but like he can drive. He's a really good grifter. I think this is an underrated Brooke Lopez thing. Like if he feels that arm, it's like what Harden does, but a thousand times slower and way funnier. Like if you put that arm in Brooke Lopez's bread box, he's shooting two free throws. Um, and of course, the, he can still post up. I mean, like you mentioned his Brooklyn days. That was his whole thing. He could post up. He'll still do that too. And like that's one thing the Bucks need to just mash guys more with him when they when teams go small. Like they started to do it more in the bubble, and I think his shot bounced back as well. But like if you put like a six eight guy like. Pick your, you know, stretch like Mo Harkless. If Mo Harkless is on Brooke Lopez, that's two points for the Bucks. Like you can't unless you double. Like right. Brooke is just way too good in the post, way too big for a guy like that. And teams will end up with guys like that on him, like because a lot of times centers will guard Giannis or they'll go small, whatever you're doing. Like they need to take advantage of that. But I think one, you can always get offense from Brooke in in mid range and closer. I think that's something they should just do more just to get more out of him. And I really do think like being used like that more, just seeing some go in, I think that helps his jumper and his three-point shot too. So I just think they need to make him more of a focal point. Now maybe that's a little harder now that you also have Drew Holiday as a mouth to feed. But I think just based on the the huge drop-off probably between the first four and the rest of your guys means they should be able to get him a lot of touches. I think that'll help that number bounce up. I don't think he needs to be like 39%, but – if you can get it back to 35, especially on some of those deep ones, it just opens up so much for the offense. And there is something to the effect of taking the shots at all, like because yeah. he's so deep, like that changes the de- geometry of the court and defense for Giannis to attack. And so there's definitely value there. Speaking of Giannis, uh, since we de- actually really haven't talked about Giannis's game aside from him uh, playing the five, uh, maybe more this season. Is the biggest thing for this team still him developing counters that work in the postseason against the defenses? And I thought he didn't figure it out last year in the regular season, but looking how comfortable he was dribbling into wide open pull up threes, and then like even the, the spins and the uh, when he would pick up his dribble and, and the fades that he was taking in the in between ranges, I thought it would help, even if it wasn't necessarily the most efficient shots. It did not, and so like, is that just still? You know, I think people are always, if Giannis ever hits like two threes in a game when he's two of three, there's social media is going to go crazy. But like, there's an element of truth to he needs like one of these things, I feel like, to hit for the Bucks to ever actualize this idea that they are going to be title favorites. What What's funny is, for the most part, it didn't. That first quarter of game five, I think, or four, whichever the last game he played, I think it was five, four, like he dominated Miami for a better part of a quarter before he ended up hurting the ankle and having to go out again. Like he was sort of getting there. And I do think like the threes are going to be the one everyone talks about. I'm still a little hesitant. Um, I would love personally to see Giannis used a little bit more like Bam Adebayo as like a play finisher and, and kind of like running just a lot of pick and rolls and dribble handoffs. Here's the issue. Like, He's not Bam Adebayo. He's Giannis. Uh, he's two-time rating MVP. That's like, a great point. <laughs> it's really freaking hard to tell Giannis, like, hey, you know, play like this guy who scores 16. And it's like a really good player, like not to put down Bam Adebayo, but like you can't just go to a MVP and be like, hey, we actually don't want the ball in your hands. Like it's not really – it's a hard position to do. I think you need to have compromise. So like he's going to handle the ball. He wants to be more of a perimeter player. It's just not his most strong suit. And I think – the biggest things he can work on is improving that vision because still, even now, even in his more limited offensive game, he still usually is getting doubled most of the time. Like even without a reliable jumper, it's really hard for most guys to face guard him, even knowing what he wants to do. He's just that good. So like work on that vision, like earlier in his career, he would do so many like 
wraparound passes with his mammoth arms, like reaching way out of bounds and just like slinging it to a corner. I'd like to see more of that. But I think even more than the three, that post game is going to be important for him. Like his fadeaway is looking pretty good. It, it has been looking pretty good. He didn't go to it as much in the playoffs. But I like, I would love to see a few times a game, like get the ball to Giannis at the elbows and let him work a little bit from there. Like anything you can do really to get him closer to the rim, I think is going to be important because like that's that's the effective range, right? Like the closer he is to the rim, the more effective he is. So the jumper is important, but like the turnaround fadeaway from 15 feet, that's important too. And I do think like he just needs to get one of those to a place where he's comfortable consistently doing it in the playoffs. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, we have no idea how to guard this guy. I don't think he needs all of them. If he has all of them, I mean, just fold the league. Like if you're honest, 37%, 37% from three and like 46% from mid-range, I don't know what the hell you're going to do about him, especially with real players around him now. But yeah, I, I do agree. Like he doesn't, he needs to get better too. I think that's something that kind of gets lost among like Budenholzer and Chris and, and formerly Bledsoe. Giannis wasn't good enough for most of the series either, most of the postseason either. So he does need to get that. And I do hope that the whole theme of this Bucks season, I've touched on it already, is like trying stuff. Like I, I, Giannis is going to dunk a bunch, of course. Like we want that. Nobody, nobody wants to tell Giannis not to dunk. But like shoot a bunch of fadeaways. Shoot a bunch of threes. Like I will never get mad at him for doing that in the regular season because it's like if you can get more comfortable with that and it helps us in playoff time but we lose a game against the Pacers in February, I don't care. Good job, Pacers. Like congrats on the win like it doesn't matter that much to me i'm wondering do you think maybe he'll be more willing to play without the ball and be used as a screener in insofar as he wasn't willing in the first place now that you've gone from Bledsoe to drew holiday i think it helps yeah I, I certainly think it helps i think that was the whole thing like when chris paul was the guy that was talked about right like it that's the other half of it that i didn't touch on that's a great call out like it's pretty hard to be like, hey, we need the ball out of your hands for Eric Bledsoe. And I, and I think Chris needs to do more stuff too. And I think Giannis respects Chris enough. That won't be a problem. But yeah, like I think it's a lot easier to sell it when it's like Drew Holiday versus like Dante DiVincenzo or God forbid, Pat Connaughton. Like, of course, <laughs> oh, Giannis is going to be like, no, like, I'd, like, give me the ball. Sorry, Pat. Love you. My best workout buddy. But like, I'll take the ball in this situation. Thanks. I think the easiest sell is Bryn Forbes running it. I think that's the one that'll get him to do it. And he, look, I was looking at this up while you were talking before, uh, 1.17 points per uh, roll man possession, and he had 115 of them last year. That's only the 67th percentile, but he had, among everyone who um, used or finished at least 100 uh, PNR possessions as the roll man, only Mason Plumley, Christian Wood, Rudy Gobert, and Jackson Hayes had uh, were fouled more often. And so like, there's also the level of panic that Giannis creates if he's just going downhill at all. And I do feel like you have the tools to make that happen in the half court more where you don't have to rely on transition. And yeah, having Chris Paul might've been, I might've actually liked that better for this team. Maybe the opportunity cost would have been lower had they went that route. Uh, but just to get Giannis moving off the ball, he might be a little bit better. But I, I would think that Drew has to be good enough to maybe try that. And if Giannis's counters aren't maybe working, you know, if his pull-up three is at 29%, uh, and his, you know, post-ups are at like, you know, 40% or just stuff that's low. I would just like to see it more, but you, there is something I don't think about enough is like, you're right. Two-time MVP, uh, also just rainy defensive player of the year. It's nothing to do with this, yeah. but like your status is just implied there. Signed to Supermax, you stayed. Like, are you willing to play without the ball? Right. Like it's, I just think it's a tough sell to be like, we need you to be super DeAndre Jordan on offense. Sorry, Giannis. <laughs> like, it's not going to happen. Like, I'm sorry. It's, you're not I wouldn't even, tell that guy to do that. I wouldn't even say like it needs to happen like that much, like DeAndre no. Jordan type. But like if it's so, if he's using, you know, what was it per game for him? 
last year was like 1.8 role man possessions or, or whatever it is. Like, can you double that? Like, is that really that much right. more to do? Yeah. And I think they should be able to do that. Like I, he's never going to, he's never going to play like Bam all the time. I don't think. And Bam handles sometimes in transition, but like, yeah, he's not getting Giannis usage. Um, but yeah, I think you need to get him to do it more, but I think you also need to figure out other stuff. I wouldn't hate to see like more pick and rolls where Giannis is the ball handler. Like have a shooter screen for him and, and pop, do some weird stuff. Like, that's fine. I just what really the one thing I don't want to see is more like Giannis at the top of the key, just like driving over and over and over. Because I just think he'll score a decent amount, especially in the regular season against smaller teams. But it's just like you're not learning anything new. I don't think he's going to get much better at it at this point. He's been doing it so much, and I just think it's like a waste of your possessions, right? Like if you have Chris Middleton and Brook Lopez and, and Dante and Drew Holiday out there, if none of them are doing anything for multiple possessions, that seems like a bad thing. Yeah. Um, I'm going to try and um, blow through these last few questions since we only have 15 minutes re- remaining. Uh, do you see the Bucks? They're so they're so inflexible financially right now. I get that, but yeah. do you sort of see them like are there or are they more emboldened to take another swing if the opportunity presents itself? Because if they have to go dollar for dollar matching with salaries, like you still have Dante Divincenzo, and there are salary fillers on this roster now. Like you know DJ Augustine's contract, Pat Connaughton's contract. Once they're eligible to be traded, even DJ Wilson makes 4.6. So there's stuff that they could do. Do you think that they're more emboldened to do it now if the opportunity presents itself, or would they be less likely to go out and and search for that? Just for one, um, how probably low scale of a move it would their all in play would still be now, um, or just two because they don't want to give up like the equity of a Dante Divincenzo since they just don't have first round picks ever again. That's obviously an exaggeration. <laughs> they actually will have one they can use in 2021, although knowing the Bucks, they'll probably end up trading it on draft night. But right. um, I think Dante being moved, and I think just to answer the question in general, it's really going to depend on the first X part of the season. Like I really think this is going to be a big prove-it part of the year for Dante DiVincenzo, for DJ Wilson, for like a few of these guys to where like a lot of people have mentioned DJ Wilson is one where um, – like he, if they could trade him, they could get under the cap or under the tax, just barely. Like if they trade him for very little salary. So that's one thing they could do. Um, but Dante, I think, like he's going to have the opportunity to prove he's like a really good fifth starter with this group. And I, the only way I see him being traded by the middle of the season is if it's just not working, which I would be a little surprised. I, I think it will work good enough for them to not trade him. I think they're really high on him. He is like, like you mentioned, we jokingly refer to him alone last year as the young core. Like that's it. That's their young core. Um, they have, you know, some, they have rookies now or whatever, but like last year it was really like Dante and then Giannis was your young core, which adding Giannis makes it sound a little better at least. Uh, although I don't, I don't think most people would consider him a prospect. Um, but yeah, I don't think Dante will move. Uh, you mentioned already the salary constraints. Like, if you could bring in like a DeMar DeRozan where his game is flawed, but you know what he brings and he's really, really good at what he does, you know, then maybe, oh, we'd like to add that as the fifth guy. It's impossible without trading one of the core four. I don't think they're going to do that for a move like that. So I think the most likely thing is like DJ Wilson gets traded for X other uninspiring big wing who makes two million less and like an Indiana second goes out. Like that's probably the most thing I would anticipate. But it all depends. Like if DJ Wilson looks like a, an indispensable defender for them and he's actually playing good minutes, then they might just do nothing except add a 15th guy. So I think the trade question is all it depends on how the first half goes. And I'd lean toward nothing big just because I don't think it's going to look worth it to the Bucks. What is Dante DiVincenzo's swing skill right now to this team? Where I think it's probably, you could say shooting just because his three-point percentage is like lower than his confidence level would be oh, yeah. in them. 
But I'm also wondering, and I, I guess I wouldn't pick this anymore, but it felt like he could log some backup point guard minutes. And I guess they punted on that by adding Augustine. I guess they could still do that, but then that would ruin my dream of seeing Bryn Forbes like play a bunch. Maybe he could play those two <laughs> together. So what is like this? Because we know what he could do defensively. Like he's just, he's really good on defense and he's great at breaking up plays like um, from behind on offense though. It does seem like he needs to reach another level to be mm-hmm. like optimal for this team. What is that level? I think it is the shooting. Um, it's the obvious answer, but I think that's really it. I, I think based on looking at their moves this offseason, and I think they still think really highly of him. I mean, he started every game so far, which I actually didn't know if he would, but he has, and I'm, it's fine. I think they're now looking at him in terms of creation, more of a, a tertiary creator than a backup point guard kind of guy. I think they tried that. like He started for Bledsoe a couple times. I think they prefer to have him lower on the hierarchy of ball handlers on the court. Like I think they want him behind Drew and Giannis and Chris, or at least mm-hmm. two of those guys. Um, and I think that's probably good. Like he's not, he doesn't have crazy vision. Like he can drive a little bit, but I think he is more of a, like, let's get an action going and then kick it to a Dante in an advantageous position. And then he'll go from there. I think that's where he's going to be as a playmaker. And that's fine on this team. Like they don't need him to handle the ball a ton. It's the shooting. Like if he can shoot, I think this is like one of the big, swings for the Bucks this year. Brooke is a good one, but I think he does so much other stuff. It's not as crucial. If Dante hits like 38, 39% from three, this team gets so much better and it's going to be good looks. He's going to have the opportunity. He has pretty good form. He certainly has the confidence. Like you mentioned, he's taking some shots where I'm like, probably shouldn't do that one, Dante. But His confidence level in shooting off the dribble is a lot higher yeah. than my confidence level in, in him doing that. Even though the yeah. volume is still so low, I just don't even think it should be there. It just it feels high just seeing him do it ever. When you're just like, Dante, right. please, Chris is out here. Um, but yeah, I think they just need to get him. I mean, you already mentioned how much he loves those those off the dribble. Like, just put him in a spot where it's like you're in the corner or like up on, like a little away from the corner. Like, just shoot it or drive to the rim. Don't dribble and then shoot, please, Dante. But I think he it, like if he can hit a high volume, suddenly he is a really good fit starter because you don't give up anything on defense playing him, like you mentioned, and he's not hurting your spacing. I think they do need that fit starter to help their spacing, at least at least like in a closing lineup. They need a positive spacing player with the core four. That's one of the big questions of the year is can Dante DiVincenzo be that? I hope so. I, I don't think I, – I, I think he can. I, it's, it's one of those where like I'm not – I wouldn't bet money on it right now, but I think if he does, then you feel really comfortable about your closing group. And what is, so is the closing group, it's, are you just penciling in the four of Brooke, Giannis, Middleton, Drew, and then X, or do you think that spot is going to be Dante's to lose? I would say X for now. Um, I think really like the, the, probably the highest floor play is DJ Augustine, just because, I mean, we know he's going to get singled out a little bit on defense. Again, I think they can cover for him enough. And if he's going to be hitting I don't know the number but if he's like 40 plus percent on catch and shoot which I think he does shoot pretty well from those on those looks that's really what you need I think most from that spot I mean we'll see what Brooke does maybe they can afford to go Dante no matter what um if Brooke is hitting a lot of threes again I wouldn't bet on that but I just think I think the core four is too good to not play one of them in 99 percent of closing scenarios I I know there's going to be some matchups but like I don't know I think most of the best teams around the league are all going to play one semi-ish traditional big guy. I think there's always going to be a spot for Brooke Lopez. He just adds too much to bench him for like, and he's like, even if you're, they're playing, some teams are playing smaller. uh, You know, if it was the Rockets version, which doesn't exist anymore, but let's use the Rockets. Like if they have Christian Wood at the five, that's not going to play Brooke Lopez off the floor. So like, he's, he's like a little, he's close to matchup proof. I would say. 
Yeah, I think he. I think he's just too good. I think he can do more perimeter stuff on D than, than he has done. But I, I just think like if you're sitting him for like Bryn Forbes because you want more spacing, I just think you're overthinking the game at that. point. No, that's, I want the that's obviously the move, Ty. That is benching <laughs> know, for yeah, Bryn Forbes. How many how many basketball fantasy basketball leagues have you drafted Bryn Forbes in? Like something's off. Um, no, there, I I don't even use fantasy. I don't do fantasy basketball anymore. As uh, I'm lame like that, but yeah. uh, Bryn Forbes, I just I value guys that can hit consistently, like pull up three pointers, and yeah. he can. And I know his defense is a problem, but like I don't think it will be in Milwaukee. I would not bench him, or I would not bench Brooke for him. Although yeah. I am a sucker for Giannis at the five. So if you're gonna go Giannis at the five, then yeah, uh, put Bryn Forbes in there. Uh, but. Uh, to your point about Augustine, too, is I did criticize his shooting last year. He still shot 41.6% on catch-and-shoot threes. It was 295 on pull-up threes, and he took 112 pull-up threes, 89 catch-and-shoot threes. I wouldn't expect that just to flip. I would expect it to flip a bunch to where he's just going to take a lot more catch-and-shoots, and that's where he's going to be valuable. And if you're not worried about his defense, then he becomes infinitely more playable. But I, I could see, like, I, I think it's going to be kind of tough for them to pick between Forbes and Augustine. I think really it comes down to... Like Augustine's going to be the better ball handler. I think if Forbes is is looking like a significantly better shooter um, off movement and off catch, then maybe you look at him as well. But I do think I, I don't know if I want to say Dante's to lose, but I think he's going to have pole position being the opening starter. And if he's hitting those threes, then I think it's pretty obviously going to be him. Is there a quirky lineup you're hoping they roll out this season? Um, I want to see like the maximum spacing Giannis lineup. So then you were talking like Giannis at the five, Chris at the four. And then, like, maybe Augustine drew Forbes. I think that would be really fun. Like, you kind of need some defense out there with Drew, just if you're going to play Augustine and Forbes at the same time. And they might never use that group. But I do think, like, it would probably just wreck teams. Like, I mean, Chris and Drew ball handling, Giannis rolling into the rim and ball handling some too. And Augustine and Forbes kind of, like, just orbiting and looking for space. Like, it'd be really hard to guard that team well. That was my exact lineup, except, oh, nice. except I had Dante in for Augustine. Oh yeah, and that and if Dante is hitting his threes, then then that's one that lineup is just going to go crazy at that point. So what are what are your proje- what what are your projections for where this team lands in the East and how many wins they end up getting in the regular season? Their win total was set at fifty point five, which I can't think in terms of seventy two games. Um, <laughs> that's the equivalent of fifty eight in a normal season. Uh, where would you have them end up? So it's fifty eight point five. Is the over under? Yeah. Okay, I'd probably say under, um, just under. Uh, in a, in a, that's the, I know that's the scaled up to eighty-two. Um, they were the I mean, only they, team, by the way, when I looked at this for this season that had a win total of fifty or higher. Like everyone else, I think the highest I, I saw was forty-eight or forty-seven, and they were just comfortably above. And I was like, I guess odds makers really like the Bucks off season that they're still that high. I know they just won at like a sixty-plus win pace, yeah. but uh, I was just surprised to see it was that high. I thought it'd be a little bit lower under the circumstances. I think all the odds makers are in on them as such a good regular season team. And I think like just the East is not, even though there's some threatening teams now, like especially the Bucks division, it's just so bad. And it's just like so many wins you feel like you can pencil in. Like, I don't know how many times they play these teams in the new schedule, but like you have so many games against the Cavs, so many games against the Pistons, even the Pacers who are like good, but just clearly not as good. Like it's, 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 I think that goes into a lot of it, but I'm going to say under, I just think they're going to have some stinkers. Probably they're going to have some growing pains. They're still, getting drew acclimated like again i think he had like five points in their first game and it's like one of those where would you love to see him play well off the jump yeah but i think it is going to be like learning how he fits and and maybe how to use him in some lineups where it's true and four bench guys to get him more reps and more touches just to get him more comfortable but he, he needs to learn how to play with chris and Giannis. i think it'll take 
a little bit of time. But um, I don't think their defense is probably going to be a little bit worse, especially coming off the bench. I think their their bench defense outside of Torrey Craig and sort of Pat, but really just Torrey Craig is is significantly worse. So that'll probably cost them a couple games. But again, it's like they might lose like more to the Blazers than they would have in the regular season. But I do think it will lead to them having a better postseason. I hope at least, and that's always the goal. So if they come in at like a 55 win pace instead of 63, but they're better equipped for the playoffs, it's a trade every Bucks fan will make. So I will take the under, but uh, it wouldn't surprise me. I mean, they could click and, and still win 60. They're a really good team. I'll take the slight under. Yeah, and I feel like they could be at a 53 win pace and still finish first in the East just looking at it. Uh, I feel like Philly and Brooklyn are my two biggest wild cards there. Boston yeah. with Kemba's knee injury, losing Hayward, that's... I don't think we're talking enough about how dicey they are, uh, but I've we'll see. What... Looking rough in the in the preseason too, although I haven't watched. Yeah, so that's like a team. There's Indy, which is solid, but it but it, it's like it's Indy. I don't really know where to place them within that. So I think they're still comfortably or semi comfortably going to be number one. Miami looms, but I feel like they're a little bit less dynamic than they were towards the end of last season. After they you lose Jay Crowder, you just can't play Iggy at the four really. Uh, so I don't like, are you going with dual bigs down the stretch? So I would still have them in first. I just have no read on what type of win total they're going to have. I picked the under two, but I just can't see them given the makeup of this roster. And now that they just understand, I think what the larger goal is not that they didn't before, but like, you're sort of like veterans at this now. Um, yeah. The regular season doesn't mean as much. And so I'm just curious whether there's a de-emphasis on trying to pick up as many wins as possible. Yeah, I think Philly is the one I would most expect to supersede them for number one. I just think that roster is finally really good and it's going to be really well suited around Joel and Ben. And I think like they were really good with those two in that weirdo Saric lineup with JJ Redick a while ago. I think they might get back there. I think Brooklyn's going to be good at times, but they're going to rest KD and Kyrie a lot. So that probably is going to cost them some games. So yeah, I would see anywhere from first through third. I would most comfortably bet one or two. But even if they're third again, like I'm not. I'm not losing sleep. Like they're going to have to beat good teams in this East either way. So get ready for the playoffs. And that's, that's the goal. Uh, is there anything else you wanted to talk about that we didn't cover or that I did not pick your brain about? I mean, the, the big thing for the bucks this year, I do think it's going to be like figuring out who are your seven to eight guys who, you know, you can ride with in a playoff series. Like, I think that's going to be the most interesting thing for me, aside from like hoping and praying for bud doing less bud stuff, which we'll see. No, no one has any idea. Um, I, I do think he'll stick around for this year at least, but, um, we'd love to see, we need to see different kinds of defense. That's the other thing. Like let them switch more. Hopefully we see that during the regular season. But my number one thing is going to be like, you know, the core four is going to be good. I continuously pencil in Dante probably as the fifth, really good guy. You need two to three more guys. So you can trust on both ends, at least a little bit. So it's going to be like, can DJ Augustine live on defense if he gets hunted? Like how is Bryn Forbes doing on that end? Does Bobby Portis become somewhat less of a black hole to where you can play him in 15 minutes and not lose the game in those 15 minutes? So that's going to be the big thing is like we need to figure out or the Bucks need to figure out who are the guys that you can play in playoff series. And hopefully that the answer for Bud isn't like everybody just play them all. That's that's the that's the fear. Yeah, the Bucks are still going to go 14 deep this season somehow. <laughs> Tanasa's takeover in the <laughs> conference finals. Um, Ty, can you let everybody know where they can follow your work, please? Um, at Ty Windish on Twitter. Did you ask where people can follow me? Yeah. My earpod, my earbud fell out. Totally guessed. Let's go. Um, <laughs> at Ty Windish on Twitter, T I W I N D I S C H. Um, that's where I post pretty much everything I do. But the main thing for sure is the Eurostep podcast. That's a Giannis reference. So G Y R O step. 
on all podcast platforms. We're putting out – we always say one a week, and then we end up getting excited and doing another one. So like 1.5-ish episodes a week. But definitely can subscribe to that for all the great Bucks content. And, of course, got to subscribe to Hardwood Knox for all the great every team's content. I wanted to say this. I know we're way over, and I'm sorry. Oh, no, I really that. appreciate Oh, what? I said, don't apologize. I'm the one that's keeping commandeering your time. (laughs) That's true. That's true. Um, I really appreciate your focus on the granular aspects of every team. Like, I think it really shines through. I think it's awesome. Like, I listen to the Cavs pod with Rowan. I listen to the Spurs pod. And it's like, you're actually like in depth talking about the real stuff on these teams. I think people appreciate that. So I just wanted to shout out your pod on your pod. It's pretty useless. People are already here. But I'm doing what I can. Uh, you're going to make me blush. I appreciate the kind words. I uh, don't deserve them after not realizing Cam Reynolds was no longer on the, the Bucks, though. So I think that's the that's the failure we're taking away from this. Guys, follow Ty on Twitter, seriously, if you're not already. And I can back up what he said about the, uh, his podcast. Subscribe to it. Um, they're really good. They're great at posting emergency pods um, and post-game pods during the playoffs. Those were really useful as someone who wasn't necessarily catching um, every game at one point before the Heat series. So those are really useful. Subscribe there. And as he mentioned, follow him on Twitter. Ty, I think you know at this point I'm going to be bothering the hell out of you again at some point. Um, but thank you again for giving me so much of your time. I always love talking hoops with you. I appreciate it. Same to you, man. Looking forward to being bothered soon in the near future. Mason, welcome back. Thank you for coming on the Hardwood Knox podcast. It's been, I don't know, since the last time you came on. I think you've been on twice before, but it's definitely been many minutes. How are you doing? Good. Um, I mean, it's uh, it's been a year, but it's been a year for literally everyone. And um, making it, can't complain too much. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, I'm, I'm currently enjoying some, some Southern weather, even though I live in Chicago. Uh, so I am. Uh, I've been able to to escape being uh, quarantining in a pandemic in one of the cold cities in, in North America or in America. So, um, all all good. Uh, I'm ready for a new season, a NBA season to start. Yeah, let's uh, let's talk some Pelicans. I'm going to start. This is more reflective than anything, but I think I'm still shocked at the haul they got for Drew Holiday. And I know that Giannis resigning with the Bucks like changes the context of. Um, some of those picks and swaps, but to have control of four draft picks essentially that far out and like, you know, even sort of the little stuff where it's like they got George Hill in that deal. They eventually moved like he ends up in OKC, but um, like that was just part of looking from a walkie's perspective it was like you couldn't even like there was a way to structure that deal money wise without having George Hill in it. Like you couldn't figure that out. So the fact that it was just such a massive haul. I know New Orleans had leverage, but were you surprised by what they were ultimately were able to get for Drew? Um, so yes and no. I, I think um, I was always more on the optimistic side of, of the discussion around what uh, what your holiday's market value was and the number of teams who might be interested. Because really, all it takes is two teams get into a bidding war. I mean, I think we, we um, you know, that, that was a, a common uh, topic of discussion for Anthony Davis as well. Different scale, of course. But, you know, whether your market is, 10 teams or two teams, as long as your market's greater than one, you can create some sort of a, if you're, if you're good, like we know David Griffin is, you can create a, a, a bidding war of sorts. And so um, we, we don't know a ton about, I mean, we, we kind of heard some some stuff after the fact about the other teams that were interested in, and were willing to pay up. But um, there were, when push came to the show, there was no one, no, no team that was going to be able to offer that no team really was as desperate, I guess, is the right way to frame it than, than the Bucks, and and that's what I feel like that's that, that's my what was my one takeaway with both the, the AD and Drew deals is that like is, is grip preys on desperation better than any better than a lot 
a lot of GMs in the in the league. And and the thing is, like, you can make the argument with the Anthony Davis trade that when, based on everything AD said, everything was back channel about the Lakers and AD wanted to be there, that the Lakers were kind of bidding against themselves and the level of what they were willing to offer. And Griff still got a pretty nice haul, things considered. Um, and then and then the same thing as can be said for Drew Holiday. It says, you know, we, there was a lot of messaging about, well, the Heat aren't going to part with Harrow. The, the Nuggets aren't going to part with Michael Porter Jr. Yeah. Sorry, I called him Maga Porter Jr. in our last Pelicans podcast, so I feel like I've got to stick with that. Um, <laughs> and, then, and, and then you've got, um, and, and then you had the Nets who, you know, if, if the centerpiece is, is Levert, I mean, that's fine, but um, there was a lot of talk about, well, if it's going to be the Nets, if they're going to be the winner here, is, do you have to get a third team involved to get the right grouping, grouping of, of players and picks that the Pelicans would want? And so, there was nothing that was rumored up in, in the days and hours up into the trade that seemed anywhere close to what the Pelicans got. And so, you know, that's why I say, you know, it, it simultaneously surprised me and didn't because I always thought that Drew was going to get a nice return given the limited other um, options of Drew, Drew Holiday's uh, ability that were available this, this offseason. Um, but still, it didn't, it, it's, way, it's more than was rumored uh, in the days beforehand. So it was interesting. Yeah, it was just because the, I think the like part of the conversation was can the Nuggets figure out a way to get the deal done without including Michael Porter Jr. Like just as a framework for it, and then you see what the Pelicans actually ended up getting for Drew Holiday, and it's like oh well, holy shit! Like that clearly was never going to happen if Michael Porter Jr. Yep. was not on the table. <laughs> so exactly, what do you think of the the move that surprised me was the Stephen Adams move and the subsequent extension. Uh, I really wanted him, and I think that this was probably like a prevailing national perspective, wanted to see a center who could space the floor play next to Zion. Uh, but Zion didn't play with that type of center last year, and like some of those minutes ended up being just fine. What do you think of the every sort of every element of the Steven Adams extension, uh, excuse me, acquisition, like the price they paid and then they extend him mm-hmm. and then just his his general fit next to Zion and the rest of the team? Yeah, yeah. And so I think, so it's easy to say, and I was, I'm one of them to say that, you know, you want a floor spacer next to Zion. Like, yes, you do. But also you need a lot from that center position in general. And you have to make, unless you're getting a guy like Carl Anthony Towns, which, you know, would probably be a dream fit next to Zion. You're, you're, you're going to have to give on something. So is it defense? Is it rebounding? Uh, is it three, is it three point shooting from that, from that position? And so um, I think Steven Adams checks literally every other box that Griff had for this, for the center next design, except for shooting. And so I'll take it. I mean, I, I think the acquisition cost for Steven Adams, the player was a little steep. I think the cost for Steven Adams to, for what he is and what he, what they want him to be off the floor, which the shows that the extension they gave him for the extra two years, which after that Gobert extension, I'm very much okay with paying Steven Adams 17 a year for a couple more years. Um, who's one of the, one of those guys like Drew, where you say, wait, he's, He's, he's how old? I thought, and like, you think that he was like three or four years older than that. Um, and so like, I, I feel, I feel good about it overall. And so like Steve, Steven Adams is going to help the Pelicans defense and rebounding, um, starting fast breaks, which I know this, this team is probably going to run quite like they did under Alvin Gentry, but they're still going to want to push the pace uh, off, you know, off of the shots. And he's a great guy to start that break and kick it out to Lonzo or Bledsoe. And, and, and he's a fantastic screen setter. And I think that'll do a, a lot to help the Pelicans with uh, getting, getting guys free, like, you know, uh, whether it's uh, BI or uh, JJ Reddick, guys like that. Mm-hmm. And also I think the, the part that's, that's most under uh, appreciated nationally is the off the, off the floor stuff and relative to what the Pelicans have needed for so long. And so, you know, I, I'm always in the mind, no matter, no matter what, where you are in your development cycle, 
Um, you need vets. You, you can't just load up a young team without having any vets on the roster and just say, ah, well, some of them will pan out, some of them won't. Like you need the veteran presence in the locker room. And not just that, you need vocal, vocal guys. And the Pelicans have not had that. They've had great leaders in Drew Holiday, Derek Favors, uh, but they're soft-spoken guys. And I think JJ Redick was the first guy who really will, will, will talk a lot um, relative to some of those other guys. And it is not just Adams, but also Bledsoe, mostly, more, more so Adams than Bledsoe, but they added guys who are going to hold other players accountable. Like if, if, if you're Jackson Hayes or Zion in practice, like good luck going up against Steven Adams. Like they're going to, he's going to make you, he's going to make you fight every single minute. Um, and so I, I just think that he brings a lot to this team, uh, both on and off the floor that maybe, um, isn't captured by, you know, by analytics or, or, or stats. And so as, as much of an analytics guy as I am, like I, I see the value in that. And so I, I, I love, I love the, the addition. I, I think the fit with next design is not perfect, but better than a lot of people may be giving credit for. Yeah. And look, they've cornered the market, um, on front court players on whose arms you can do pull-ups. On. So that's between him and Zion. So that's always fun. And, <laughs> no, no doubt. And look, I, I think the fact that he helps defensively is like, maybe you could just um, figure out the re- like any awkwardness on offense later, just because, you know, he does, I, people seem so down on him defensively. And I know he's not like, there's this idea of you need to be matchup proof at the five. I understand he's not matchup proof, but like, um, every year in OKC, basically, opponents got to the rim just substantially less when he's on the court. Um, his boxing out is going to help their defensive rebounding. Right. Like you would think it makes it mm-hmm. easier for guards to grab boards and just get out and go. And so I think that Josh Hart and Lonzo are two, two great guards to do that, too. So it fits. Right. And the other thing is, like, he only turned 27 in July. So it's not like he's super ancient. And again, I wasn't crazy right. about the like decision to get him or the extension, but he's only 27 and he helps your defense. And like you said, the off court stuff, that'll clearly matter. So I warmed on it where like I've soured on Tristan Thompson in Boston. The more I think about it, I've warmed on Steven Adam more in new Orleans. The more I think about it. Yeah. yeah. And, and one other piece of this I think is important is that it's the, who knows if he finishes out that contract in New Orleans, right? I expect him to be as long, unless like the fit looks awful. I expect him to be in New Orleans all of the season, all of next season. So year three, that becomes a very movable salary and you can use Steven Adams plus a couple of the picks you have from the Lakers as well to really make it, make a move and get someone else. And, and if there's anything we know about small markets like New Orleans, it's you're only going to get a marquee free agent if you're a legit title contender. Uh, otherwise you've got to either draft or trade for those guys. And so you've got to put yourself in a position to do that. And I think, you know, that last year, the Steven Adams deal in combination with some of the picks, you, you can set yourself up for success um, you know, as, as you can to build this team. Are the spacing concerns fair for this team, though? I had mentioned something on Twitter about it. I think it was like a few days ago, and I got a few Pelicans fans I mentioned saying, you know, they were um, they shot the ball well from three last year, and they were they were ninth in three-point attempts rate. I think they were fifth in uh, three-point percentage. But a lot of that percentage, excuse me, a lot of that just feels like a perfect storm of things that could, like, not happen this year. Like, one, you traded, um, you exchanged Drew Holiday for Eric Bledsoe. Like, that's just a spacing downgrade. Uh, Lonzo had a career year from deep. Is he going to replicate that? Um, I believe in Brandon Ingram's jump, but like, what if he declines at all? And you're also the thing that I don't think is being talked enough about is, you know, Zion shot, his percentage was fine from three, but he wasn't taking a bunch of them. And now he's going to be on the court, hopefully just a lot more. And so I just feel like it puts more pressure on them to find lineups where they can have, you know, three shooters on the court at once. And just the way their front court is set up, I think that makes it a little bit difficult. And then even with some of their guards, um, you know, having Bledsoe there. And then again, what happens if Lonzo drops off a little bit? 
Yeah, I, I think you make a ton of fair points. Um, I was I, I was doing the uh, season preview pod for the Pels with uh, with Nate Duncan the other day, and one of the things that he said that stuck with me was, you know, statistically speaking, the difference in three point shooting between Eric Bledsoe and Drew Holiday is is not that significant. However, teams give a shit when Drew spots up. Teams yeah. generally don't when Bledsoe does, and that that is what spacing is, right? It's it's how well you can you know force defenders to make tough decisions, and so. Um, you know, I, I think that's certainly a fair point with blood. So the, the Drew to blood, so trade-off. Um, it, and then I, I agree with the other points around, you know, Lonzo is he, is that, I think with Lonzo and BI, like you said, I think the shot's sustainable, but is the, the jump in percentage that we saw, uh, you know, from one year to the next day? Well, I don't know. Um, and then of course, uh, Zion, you're, you're exactly right. We're, we're, but no, I, I'd say the other point with, with, uh, with, well, uh, Zion is, it's not like the Pelicans were placing him with dead eye shooters when, you know, and besides Melly, Melly was a spacer. Um, and, and, but besides that, I mean, like, unless they were talking about adding a guard in for, for the position that, that Zion was playing, they, they didn't, they didn't always replace him with spacing. And so, um, but that said, I mean, I, I think, yeah, it, it's, it would be a fool of a, a foolish uh, thing to say, if you were going to say the Pelicans are going to finish top 10 and three point shooting again this year. Um, however, I don't think they're, uh, I don't think it's a sign- as much of a problem as uh, a lot of, a lot of people may, may think. Um, the, the Stephen Adams point around I made, I think, is also um, you know around his ability to create uh, you know help with spacing with his screening ability. I think matters a lot, um, and I think he's going to help more than uh, Favors did last year in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I expect this team to be like around league average in three point percentage. And I mean, it'd be silly for me to say like, ah, between 50th and 20th, because like the, with most of these stats, uh, you know, with various teams in the league, anything between 10 and 20 is separated by not, not yes, much. It, oh, it's, it's around, yeah, it's a rounding error. So like, I, I think they will be, I, I don't think they're going to be terrible. So like, I think they will be around league average. And I think there's going to be times where you see the spacing becomes a problem against good teams. Um, but, I think that, you know, in the long run, they'll, they'll figure it out. Like, you know, not, maybe not this season, um, but I don't think that they're trying to solve every single problem they're going to have this season. So I'm so excited to watch like Zion this, this year, just to have hopefully a full year of Zion. I will preface this, as I've said on every pod, I basically did a preseason basketball blackout because I didn't want it to color the way I was writing about my, my player rankings that I was doing at the time, since the rankings weren't based on it. Um, But from like watching a few clips of him, it seems like he looks like really good. I'm just curious your thoughts as to how he's looked during the preseason, what you've liked most, anything that's just stood out. Um, uh, So a couple things. One um, is the way that Stan's already clearly trying to get him involved um, off, off the ball and moving. Um, And and this is certainly something that happened with Alvin Gentry as well, but there it's clearly a focus They're They're making him, you know, he's more than just a guy who's going to catch the ball in the post and just bully people. He's going to, um, it's it just, it's so amazing to see someone with his frame so quick, just like a, a dribble and can acrobatically get around people and get to the rim and score. Um, he, he covers so much distance. So it's so easily and effortlessly, it seems like. Um, but the, the, the other, the other thing that I think is most, um, encouraging to me is, is seeing his effort on defense. It, it even, I, and I, tend to take almost nothing for preseason besides don't get hurt. Um, but that said, I think effort matters, especially with the way this team played in the bubble last year. They look so lethargic. They look like they didn't give a shit. And so um, seeing, seeing Zion clearly trying and, and, you know, he, he looked better and he's not good yet, obviously, but um, I think it's, uh, you know, promising for me to see him 
making those types of strides on the defensive end from where he was last year, which was just, you know, objectively terrible. So, um, so that, that's where I'm looking for it to see what he can do because, you know, he, he can't be as, as good as he is offensively. He can't be your, this world-class, um, you know, top five guy in the league without being at least competent on, or, or, you know, average to above average on the defensive end. I mean, I, I think you'd be hard pressed to make that argument for anyone. Um, James Harden, I guess the closest you can go. Um, but even, even he has gotten a, a bad rap on defense in certain cases. I mean, there's been years where he hasn't tried, but when he does try, he's, he's passable. And so um, I, I really want to see uh, Zion take a step forward on the defensive end this year. I wonder if it helps him that it feels like Stan Van Gundy's teams have always just overachieved um, on defense where you look at like some of those piston squads that he had, it felt like they could have just been a lot worse and he wasn't given like this premier defensive talent. And so I'm just wondering if having Stan Van Gundy there ends up helping. Which he did to himself though, right? Yeah. <laughs> in Detroit. Uh, yeah, that's true too. Uh, that's, I you, that's not pointed out nearly enough. Um, so I'm wondering if that ends up helping Zion. My other question for him was though, do you see them ever getting to a point and, um, whether or not that's the season where Zion might be initiating some of the offense rather than doing like a lot of the, you know, not just um, off ball stuff, but like more, they're not counting on him to like get them into their sets in the half quarter running a ton of pick and rolls. Do you see him ever getting to that point? Yeah, I, I think they'll give him chances. I mean, I, uh, by, by, for, for no other reason than they kind of, they, they, they need to with this group they currently have, like, I mean, Bledsoe is your point guard in the traditional half court sense, but, but, they don't, they don't have a guy that they're always going to go to, uh, you know, who's going to dominate the ball um, in, in terms of being able to, to create and score. I mean, Ingram, they're going to give him more chances, um, but he's still, he's, when you put the ball in his hands, it's kind of an isolation and look for his shot rather than facilitating. Um, and, and so, but I'm, I'm sure that's something they're going to look for him to improve on this year as well. Then um, Lonzo, they, they would love for him to improve in his game in that regard, but he's, been you know uh, all to the paint for most of his career so he's usually more of like a facilitator than uh you know maybe catch a pass and then throw another one versus um you know actually driving so they've they they need playmaking and, and so unless you think Nikhil Alexander Walker's gonna make this huge jump this year they need it and I think you could you could do much worse than trying to put more of that on Zion and, and seeing what happens right I mean so trial by fire I mean let, let these guys as long as you're not uh, giving them, uh, putting them in positions where they're going to develop bad habits. I mean, set them up for success and see, see, push the envelope, see what these guys can do. And Zion's certainly no different. Yeah. And it seems just like he's already making good decisions when he's like going downhill. And so just the idea of like, he's like basically a tornado with dancers feet. And so the idea of just getting him in more positions where he's going to be able to like get downhill and forcing him to, I guess, yeah, you have to make more decisions or complicated decisions in those situations. I would just like to see it because that does, you know, I think if he's able to do that, that just has such a huge pack on huge impact on the way that they're able to run their offense then. Uh, yeah, yep. Yeah, sure. So for Brandon Ingram, we kind of already touched on this, uh, that we both just, uh, I think that he's closer to his normal than not when looking at last season. Um, if he wasn't like taking these crazy off the dribble threes, it was just a matter of really improving like his set percentage. He's always felt like, you know, dating back to his time in the Lakers, I felt like he always was able to get to his spots um, it just felt like a lot of those shots were like finally falling last year. There's the, you know, the free throw percentage jump was huge, but they're also like their free throws. And so like, if you can shoot threes, like, why can't you improve your, your free throws? So like, what are you like looking for him um, looking for from him this season? Is it a matter of just being better on defense because he was so bad? Or is there something to the idea that, Hey, maybe now that you have Zion full time, that it could end up impacting Ingram's influence over the offense. 
No, it's it's going to sound a little similar to to Zion because I, I defense is where I'm looking first because uh, and I think we'll get to this as well. The Pelicans don't exactly have a ton of depth on the wing, um, which That's is one way to put it. <laughs> which is. I've, I'm a broken record over the last decade of Pelicans basketball um, because that's always been a problem. Um, hence the last time they gave a big money contract to a wing with Solomon Hill. So it probably tells you all you need to know there, but, um, but, but yeah, I mean, so defense matters. Uh, it, he's, he was kind of like that, the lack of uh, effort on the defensive end. He was uh, during the bubble. He was certainly a centerpiece to that. Um, he, he does well uh, in one-on-one matchup situations uh, a lot of times. I mean, I think the, the example people who defend Ingram's defense will point to a lot is he, he did really well against Porzingis last year. I don't know how to explain it, but he, he, he defended him very well. And he does guys that are similar to him and that they're not super quick. Um, and, but, and, but he can use his length to really disrupt and, and cause problems. I, I think he can do that in isolation situations, but he, he kind of loses, uh, loses people when off the ball, um, his focus can, can sometimes slip and he's not, he's not the super freak athlete type guy. He's just, um, you know, he's, he, he, he kind of goes to the motion sometimes. So, um, so I, I think that's, that's the area, but I think, I think if he gets the right coaching, if he gets put in, um, you know, if Stan can really um, make an impact on him, he's got the, he's got the wingspan. He's got the uh, ability to, to be good. Uh, and so, um, so we'll, we'll see if, if that can start to, to, the switch can start to flip on that end. But, um, but really, yeah, I, I, I think I agree with your assessment of him uh, offensively and his, his improvement. I think the reason I'm buying in so much is that it wasn't like he just had some random erratic jump in one area. It must, except for maybe three point shooting. But I think even there, he he showed enough to think that 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 an, an improvement in three point shooting is sustainable, and he, he's certainly good enough to warrant teams paying attention to him when he spots up. Um, but he he, he really impro- improved his game across the board statistically um, on, on on both volume and efficiency. And so um, I, I I'm looking for him to continue to um, you know to to try to improve the, his ability to create for others as well putting the ball in his hands, um, running him at some, some point forward sets and seeing what he can do there. Um, but, um, but, but, but yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm looking forward to, uh, to an improved season from him, um, you know, on hopefully on both ends. Yeah. And the other thing too, is like during his latter two seasons in LA, like he was basically close to the version of the player that he became in new Orleans, uh, before his injuries where he was shooting like, okay. Volume. It wasn't like as high a volume, but he was hitting his threes. And so that's what really made me, I'm kind of buy into it too. Is like if he's had like longer stretches of more efficient offense, higher volume offense before, it's just injuries derailed it. It was like, oh, this is the product of what happens when he's healthy for the entire season. Uh, this is yeah. the question I've been burning to ask you though, as you know, before the start of the pod, Lonzo Ball, what makes him so divisive, not just in general, but amongst the Pelicans fan base specifically? I'll see you having like, like they'll come across my TL just randomly. You're having like heated debates with um, all these different people about Lonzo ball. And I, I know Shamit will have them too. And it just, it fascinates me because his, his play style is confusing to me. And I don't know how I view him long-term. I, I don't necessarily like him for this team. It feels like they need someone who could do more than just um, be this like guy who ferries them into these, you know, open floor transition opportunities. They need like more of an actual like half court point guard, but can you explain to me like where this, what's the root of this division in new Orleans? 
<laughs> Look, um, the fact of the matter is that when the Anthony Davis trade happened, there are a lot of um, a lot of Los Angeles fans who loved the the young guys, and some of them came over uh, to support the the Pelicans, which is which is great. But at the same time, um, there are some maybe dissenting opinions around. Um, around the, the abilities of those Lakers players. And I will be the first to say that I, I sorely underestimated Brandon Ingram. And I think a lot of, I mean, a lot of people nationally, I, I'm not saying I wasn't, I was not alone on this island. Like a lot of people were like, mm, don't know about BI. And, and he proved everyone wrong. Most improved player of the, of the year award. I mean, uh, the, the difference with, with Lonzo is it's about, it's not about his abilities as much as it was what he does well. Um, and so I, you know, I, I've been pretty adamant over the last, you know, few months, a year, even really, about what I think Lonzo is and what I think he's not, and a lot of his uh, the fan base that supports him so strongly, this I think vehemently disagrees with that assessment. So, you know, I'm I'm of the opinion based on what I've seen. You know, he doesn't he doesn't get into the paint when he does. He often turns the ball over. He he's you know he he is doesn't like to get fouled because he's not a good free throw shooter. He doesn't do a lot of the things even close to passable that a point guard should should be able to do. And so, and when you're that bad at some of those things, you, you rarely see players that bad get, go to good. Maybe he can get to blow average or, or even average in some of those things, which would be fantastic, but he's, I don't never expect him to be good or at, at penetrating and, and, and driving and kicking or driving and getting, getting, drawing fouls, going to the free throw line, things like that. What I do think he's really good at is that same type of point guard responsibilities in transition. He's great at, at you know, catching outlets and, and looking up floor immediately and creating mismatches. He's, and obviously Zion exacerbates that ability. I mean, it's a perfect pairing in, in transition, those two. Um, he's great at, you know, uh, catching, uh, you know, catching a pass from a point guard and, and, and immediately looking and finding the right next pass to make. Um, he's shown that he can really improve his three-point shooting ability. He's worked with Fred Vincent, Pelican assistant coach, extensively there, and the and the results are pretty pretty apparent. So he's do, he does a lot of good things. Um, they're just not. I just don't see him as a point guard, and that that creates a lot of divisiveness among some some fans. But um, I, I think he's a very interesting case. You know, we found out today that he's not going to be. Um, they're not going to reach an extension before restricted free agency next summer, which comes as no surprise to most people who are following the team closely, but, um, but I think it's going to be a very interesting year for Lonzo. And I don't, uh, I mean, I think he helps this team a lot. I think if new Orleans gets a sense that they're going to, he's going to cost much more than they're willing to give him, then they may look, look at other options. Um, but I, I, again, I think if he, if he's in the right role, which is I, how Stan Van Gundy has talked about him, um, then he can be successful. The question is, is he worth what he might get on the open market? Yeah, and look, I would say, one, young players can get better, but if you're looking at Markel Fultz getting $50 million and knowing that Lonzo Ball right now is a better player, um, it seems like mm-hmm. not signing him to an extension was a good decision for both player and team at this point yep. because he's clearly going to yep. get more money in the market. And mm-hmm. I was really high on him for most of last year, um, and I'm not trying to bring this all back to rankings, but I had him so high when I did the NBA 100 rankings, basically solo, um, at the end of the first regular season before the bubble. And then when I was watching him in the bubble and then digging into it for the latest version that I did, and we also had like a larger panel, um, the consent he dropped more so than any, like any single player from like the end of last season until now. So like, it wasn't that one stretch that swayed me, but when I went to go watch him more, um, I do really like what he can do in the open floor. I actually, I feel like he can be like, he gives them so many options on defense as well. That could help them. I think long-term, but 
I just don't, you, you mentioned it already and I don't want to like just belabor that point, but they need him. I don't, I don't see the player um, that they need in, in the half court. Like he looks so, I don't know if it's uncomfortable or indecisive when he gets into the lane. He's, he shot 33.9% on drives last year. And so like his volume is, is one thing where it's like, he still doesn't necessarily seem like he wants to be super aggressive with shooting, but like to have that level of non-finishing from your point guard when he's inside the arc and like, you know, trying to break down defenses is just, it feels like it's going to be a huge conundrum for them. And it, I don't want to bring everything back to the money, but you know, you've already paid Brandon Ingram. Like it, it gets to a point where now you're just reinvesting in all these young players before you're necessarily a fully finished product. And you have Josh Hart to think of too, who's really right. important to this team. And so mm-hmm. it, I feel like he just is going to end up being in a lot of trade rumors uh, this year. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gl- and I'm glad you brought up Hart because uh, he's a guy who I feel like is maybe doesn't get the respect he deserves um, nationally for what, what he, what he does. And so I'm not saying that he's de- definitely going to be a, even a, starting two guard uh, at any point in his career. I, I sure hope he will, but he's what, what he can do defensively rebounding shooting and the hustle, I think is most it's most important or not most important, but it's one of the things that I think is maybe most under, underappreciated with him. He's, he's 110% every single minute of the game. And it, it, it is really inspiring to see. And I think every team could use a, a player like him. And so I am, I'm I'm still very curious to see if we if, if something breaks while we're recording about whether or not the Pelicans will agree to an extension with them. I I honestly have, have no clue. I expected they wouldn't with Lonzo for all the reasons that you and I both discussed about how far apart they both sides would be. But um, yeah, well, I I think there's uh you know there's more of a chance uh if they can agree, to, especially now that they locked in Stephen Adams and it seems like they've got a direction around whether or not they think they'll be a they want to be a cap team or a uh you know or, or over the cap team, um but. Who knows? Well, I guess we'll see. Yeah, and uh, you don't have to talk me into Josh Hart. And that's why if you can <laughs> sign him to an extension, you might want to just because there's going to be a lot of money floating around in the market next year. And now there's just not stars to spend it on. And so there's going to be some teams that do some reckless things. And he's just the archetype of player. Yeah, where maybe he's a little bit undersized for a wing, but what he's mm-hmm. going to give you um, defensively. And then like, yeah, his three-point splits have kind of been all over the place, but he can hit like defenses mm-hmm. have to respect his three point shot. I would expect him to be right. like able to find really significant offers. Um, mm-hmm. The next thing I want to ask you about uh, was what type of role does Jackson Hayes play this year? And, and is it larger? Could it be smaller than last year? Just because now you don't have one an injury prone Derek favors factoring into the front court rotation and you've replaced him with Steven Adams, who you are at least, you know, you're somewhat invested in because you did extend him. Yeah, I, I mean, I like Jackson Hayes a lot. Um, I think he's still a child. Like he, and and I say that because he didn't even start playing basketball until he was like 13, 14 years old. So he's he's 19 or 20 right now, but he's kind of a younger 19 or 20, if that's possible to even say than than you'd expect. And so um, he did get forced into a role that was probably too much for him last year with the Favors injury. I mean, he was he, he's flashy. He he can dunk. He can block shots. He's got he's very uh, he's, he's very long, but. He's still le- very much learning how to play the game at the NBA level, and so um, if, if he takes a, a step back in minutes this year, I wouldn't say it's a bad thing. Um, I am very much looking forward to, like I mentioned briefly earlier, seeing him work against guys like uh, work on the glass against Stephen Adams, Zion, even Hernan Gomez. Uh, I mean, I think he's going to get a bunch of challenges in practice, and I'm hoping that can really, um, you know, help help his expedite his learning curve, even if he doesn't play as much, but. I mean, I I think he's still I, I'd give I'd say he's right now the fourth big on this team uh, behind 
behind Melly, especially if you want to give Zion spot minutes at the five as well. Um, you know, I, I, so I could see his minutes being inconsistent, but I don't see that as a reflection on his potential as a player for this New Orleans team. I just think he's, he's young and he's still learning. And so um, I could see a, a pretty wide range of outcomes for, uh, you know, his, his total minutes for New Orleans this year. I could see him falling behind uh, Hernan Gomez in the depth chart just because they, they want more wow. rebounding or, um, but, but I mean, I, I, I think that's an unlikely outcome, but, uh, but I think, or, or even uh, Gabriel too. I mean, I, the, I think the Pelicans signed those guys to be practice bodies as much as anything else. Um, maybe Hernan Gomez more so than Gabriel. I think Gabriel may, may maybe have a little bit, may, may fit a little bit better with the standing on these styles and, um, uh, and, and there could be a reason for that signing, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's going to be a, a longer road with, with Hayes and I don't want to rush to conclusions to, too soon. Is there, do you see the outline of a good defender there? I know you mentioned his shot blocking. Is it just like sort of a matter, uh, a matter of him settling down and like making better decisions, not, you know, fouling as much? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, I, I think, like I said, I mean, d- defense, I think take maybe takes a little bit longer to learn in the NBA level than offense. And I think that that's the hope, right? I mean, if you're, if you're going to draft a, a five um, that high, you've got to see it. Uh, defensively as a guy who can really make a difference. And so if not, then you're drafting a, a, a guy who, if he tops, if you think he tops out as a mediocre defender, who isn't that great of a shooter, I mean, where's, where's his role in the league? So, or at, it, at least as a top 10 pick. And so I think, I think that potential is still very much there. So we, we kind of touched on this already. How concerning is the dearth of, of wings here? Because I, I, Ingram is their only true wing. And then I, I throw Josh Hart in there just because you have to. And like, yeah, he's you have to. Yep. Yeah. Um, but like what what happens from there? Like, is Wanyan Gabriel going to get like minutes at the three? Is, is Thornwell going to factor into this? Um, I like Gabriel. Like, I feel like if you, you know, tapped into his veins, there'd be like Red Bull coursing through them. Um, he just plays <laughs> with that type of energy, but I don't like mm-hmm. him at the three necessarily. Maybe he's yeah, sure. maybe. So like, what is this, what is happening with this team? Are we going to see like, maybe is it more likely that we see some players play up where it's like, you know, Nikhil Alexander Walker looks like a de facto wing. Um, at some points, I'm just, I'm so confused looking at their depth chart. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so that's, that's one of the questions, right? Is you, the Pelicans by, and by virtue of the Steven Adams move, they, they restricted themselves uh, because of the, the tax line to, because they still have a deal. I think that's all of the mid-level. And so, but they can't use it because they have their, they'd be a tax team if they sign one more player. They only have 14 guys in the roster right now. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's a decent number of reasons to expect there'd be a trade in season, uh, which would make, which would change the calculus there. But, but I mean, yeah, there's a question of, so they went and signed two bigs for the minimum or in Gabriel and, uh, Hernan Gomez, but they didn't touch the wing other than Thornwell. And so, Lou, I do, the, the, the team clearly likes based on the couple of preseason games, they, they see him playing a role on, on So I think you'll see minutes for Thornwell. Um, I think, like you said, it's a fair assessment around Josh Hart maybe getting minutes as a three. Um, but I, I think more more than anything, you see a lot of three guard lineups. I, I think that they they won't be shy to play, you know, to play Redick alongside um, Bledsoe and Lonzo. Yeah, the, the nice thing about Lonzo is he's able he's six six. He's able to guard um, a little bit bigger. Not not in the same way that Drew Holiday was. I mean, Drew Holiday, one of the best kept secrets in the league. That kind of isn't that much of a secret anymore is how well he can defend the post against pretty much anybody. Right. Um, and so, yeah, that's not really something you're going to see from many of the other guards in this team, but they've got some versatility uh, to, to, to play some three guard lineups and still be passable defensively. Um, so I think that's, you know, that, that's, that's what I would expect more than anything else. I, I would not expect that the guy like Gabriel to play, play the three. Um, 
uh, as much as I think Hart, Thornwell, and then three guard lineups uh, come out. Yeah, I didn't even, that's like something I didn't even really factor in is I just looked at it as, oh, Drew left. Like that's one person less that could defend wings. But as you mentioned, like what he can do in the post too, they're just so kind of all over the place defensively now. Um, is this, I guess like, that's the other thing is like, what do you kind of see for this team defensively? See cleaning the glass out of it in 19th in points allowed per possession overall. And there's, you know, we could dig into like the specifics of what was happening there, but are they built to improve on that? Is there, do they have a lower floor now somehow? Do you expect them to be right around the same area or do you have any sort of feel for what they could be defensively? Yeah. I mean, I, the, I think the easy way to, to, to say it is I expect it to be similar to last year. I think they got, they got worse defensively. I don't think they got tremendously worse. I mean, I think, I, I, I think Steven Adams is an upgrade on favors defensively. Um, but I'm, I'm, I, I think I'm lower than most. I think I saw that yeah. argument in your timeline as well, not to interject, <laughs> but uh, no. favors had an impact on their defense, but I agree that he just wasn't the way he was moving. And I don't know if his back was an issue all season or something, but he just doesn't move the same. And, and Adams is like surprisingly nimble for someone his side. Right. Yeah. Full, fully agree. And uh, yeah, I mean, favors is the only above average defender they had and in, 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 inside. And so he, his on off numbers look good, but I, you know, I think he was fine. I don't think he was great. His, his rim protection numbers were awful last year, way worse than what he had, what he had in Utah. And like you said, the mobility was not, was not there. And so, um, so I mean, so I think the upgrade to, um, to Adams uh, helps. Obviously the move from Drew to blood. So the downgrade, um, but I think, like many have said, it's less of a downgrade in the regular season. It's, it, it, it's going to show more in the playoffs. I'm particularly from Milwaukee. I think more, maybe more so than New Orleans. But, <laughs> but, um, but, but, but I think, um, you know, I, I think they, ha- they have young players who should, in, in theory, improve, even if it's only marginally on that end. And most of all, I think their style uh, of play this year is going to be more um, – aligned to a defense that's improved and so Stan Van Gundy obviously you know he gives he gives a shit he cares a lot about defense um you know the, the Falcons coaching staff last year cared about defense but uh, that wasn't obviously wasn't Gentry's forte um and so I, I think I think the combination of the fact this team's not going to be as crazy about going getting out in transition and foregoing rebounding um to to do that and then Stan Van Gundy's coaching style I, th- I think I think this team should improve defensively stylistically but i think they also have to deal with a slight downgrade in defensive talent so you know if you assume those two things relatively offset i i i say they come around you know league average defensively this year um assuming health because but again you run into the same problem steven adams has been an iron man of sorts but if he if he misses time they're in a bad spot. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but I mean, you can say that about a lot of teams, right? If they lose, if they lose one guy uh, on one end of the floor, they're, they're you know, they're going to struggle. So, um, so we'll see. Looking at some of their younger players, um, specifically the two most important ones, uh, Kyra Lewis and Nikhil uh, Alexander Walker. What did, what type mm-hmm. of role do you envision for them? If any, like, or is, you know, is not like guaranteed minutes this year? Are they going to give Kyra Lewis the, um, the Nikhil treatment that they gave him last year where he didn't really play. Um, I remain most fascinated by, uh, he was just someone I zeroed in before the draft last year, um, Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I remain so fascinated by his game. Like it, it feels like it could be a little chaotic, but when he has it under mm-hmm. control, there's just the outline of a really good NBA player there. So is he going to have a, a shot to get regular minutes or do you think he kind of falls through the cracks a little bit more because they do have veterans. Like, you know, you have Redick, you have, you have Bledsoe, um, you have Lonzo there and even Hart, you know, if, if there are any minutes for him to log at the two, because for some reason they have an excess of wings, which they clearly don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I think I, I would be surprised if Nod doesn't have a spot in the rotation. Um, I mean, I think uh, Kyra will be, 
I think your assessment about him uh, having the getting the not treatment uh, from last year is is fairly accurate. Um, but you know, I think not lost his minutes to Frank Jackson, who I think is not a good player at all. But I think at the same time, the Pelicans wanted to, I guess, know for sure before they moved on from him, and and they and they saw that after, despite the good summer league and preseason that that Na had last year, he he didn't. He, he he did everything he could to throw his minutes away once they gave him to him in the regular right. season. Like he was not good, but I mean, I think, I think your points are, are fair. Like I, I don't, I, I think he's got a, a good chance to be really good in this league. And I think he, they're going to give him another chance here to, you know, not Frank Jackson's not, not there uh, to take his minutes away. Um, and, and really not a lot otherwise has changed as far as who's in front of him and the, and the Pelicans backcourt. Uh, other than, you know, therefore, I, I think Kyra is probably in a redshirt season of sorts. He's, he's still, like, uh, he's still pretty, pretty young. Um, I, I would be, I would love to get him to see him get some minutes, but, um, I could also see them just bring him along fairly slowly. Um, and so, uh, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm hoping that you, we see Na take a, take a step forward this year. Um, but yeah, I mean, and then another, I guess, small thing is they each, each one more is gone now. So he was very, his minutes were all over the place. Uh, I mean, I think he helped the Pelicans and made them better, but also I think they, at some point they wanted to see some of the younger guys get some playing time. But now that he's, he's gone, that, that does open up a, f- a few more minutes in the backcourt. So, um, so, so I think that that'll be something I expect to see as well. But I mean, I think, I think fans might be based on what we've seen in the preseason. I think fans who are looking to see the young guys might get a little frustrated with like Thormel's minutes compared to, uh, to Nikhil's or, or Kyra's just because they like what they see from him sooner. But, um, but yeah, I mean, long story short, I'm, I'm hoping that we see Nog get some, get some minutes this year to see if he can make improvements on last year. Look, I don't know, like, Thornwell just hasn't played enough at the NBA level, but if he's like his three point swings have been wild. If he can just hit wide open threes, I don't think there should be a problem with him getting minutes, but I was also of the little preseason basketball. I did catch, uh, I think it was Pelicans, Miami. I'm like, can not endear himself to the rotation by hitting consistently set threes, because that's what he did in that game. I think he, well, from what I saw, he was hitting like two or three of them. And just based off what this team needs, like if you can have someone who's going to consistently just hit, be an outlet for Zion off the catch. And then of course he can put the ball on the deck when he needs to, um, I just mm-hmm. would wonder what's the justification behind not playing him in that scenario. But as you said, yeah, he was wildly mm-hmm. inefficient during his rookie season. Yeah, well, yeah, but also, I mean, tying this back to Lonzo, I mean, <laughs> Nas, he he's not afraid to drive and, and and create contact and get into the paint. I mean, he's he he thrives on it, and so if he's if he's doing that, and the Pelicans saw many other guards who are going to attack the way he does, as long as he can do it relatively efficiently and, and create chaos. I mean, why not let him try to improve on that? Um, the So the next thing I want to get to is, does this team have like mid-season turnover potential? And I kind of mean that from two different perspectives because I, I think if in their situation where after you trade a player like Drew, the assumption would be like, well, they're open-minded to maybe dealing some of their other veterans for future assets. But like, you know, you need like eight pages to like have to go through all their pick protections already. Like they're kind of set in that department. And the other thing that I've considered, and I, I don't think this is novel. I'm sure it's been a talking point is that I feel like Zion's best years could come earlier than normal. Um, just based off how he plays like ath- athletically. And so would there be a push to, I don't want to see them, you know, mishandle their timeline like they did with Anthony Davis um, early on, but is there like a scenario where maybe it's not this season, but potentially over the off season where there's maybe more of a push for them to consolidate some of these assets, just because they recognize not only is Zion already good, but like, we don't know what type of player he's going to be at 28, 29, 30. 
Yeah, it's, it's so interesting. Uh, Nate, Nate Duncan said the same thing around Zion's timeline and expediting it. And I think that that's always been the, the question is when, right? When you, and I don't know if next summer is the, the, the time. I feel like it's sometimes it's all, you're almost at the mercy of other, other teams. And so, like, you know, when does, uh, if you're banking on someone like Towns, like when does he, is he ask out or even like, uh, you know, I think Devin Booker was a, was a hot name and then they went and traded for Chris Paul. So like, I don't think that, you know, unless something goes horribly wrong, I don't think he's asking out anytime soon. Um, but I, I think that's kind of what they're, you know, they look, you, you look for the next disgruntled star, right? You can, you can throw your, in that salary and throw some picks at. And so I think that's always been the, 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 the thought process around accumulating all these draft picks from the Lakers and Bucks and whoever, like, um, obviously those picks may not look, that great um but all it takes is one um to, to really pan out and and so i mean i think that i i certainly think that's the that's the approach um just don't know what the exact timeline is on that and as far as you know more immediate this this off or in season i i think there's certainly the potential for that you've got you've got player a player like uh jj reddick if you don't see him staying in new orleans past this year and the pelicans aren't looking like they're going to be in the, in the thick of things. I mean, he, he could, he could fetch something nice from a team that's uh, looking to make a deeper playoff run. Um, I don't know how much he would get. I mean, you can make a pretty damn good argument that JJ Reddick's unplayable deeper in the playoffs because of his defense at this point in his career. But, um, but I mean, yeah, you, you could see certain things like that, um, uh, you know, occur. I, yeah, I, I think maybe the only the argument against it is that now you have this play in game. And so as yeah. long as you're, within striking distance of the top 10, you can at least make things interesting. Uh, and I think this Pelicans team would feel like, you know, as young as they are, they're hopefully only going to get better as the season goes on. And, and they kind of adapt to Stan Van Gundy's system. And, you know, if, if they're healthy going into the, that playing game, they, they probably want, would feel like they can beat anyone that, that they'd be matched up with there. Um, and so I, I think they're not going to punt on that opportunity for like a couple second round picks for JJ, but, um, but I, I mean, I certainly think that something like that is on the table to have some roster turnover or, or even that's what, like, like we talked about Lonzo. Like if these, if they don't see that, then if they don't feel like they're not willing to, to pay what they think Lonzo's going to get next summer, especially what, given what we're seeing around other, you know, uh, other top end talent getting locked into extensions and, and then suddenly you've got all this cap space, but not many players to use it on that's a recipe for disaster uh, as a team, which you've got a player that you kind of like, but not not, like in love with. So, um, so yeah, I mean, this, this is probably one of the more team, the teams in the league that's more ripe for some mid season um, maneuvering. Do you think it's more likely that Lonzo would get traded mid season or that it would be a sign and trade scenario over the summer with a team that might not have a ton of cap space? Um, That's a good question. I I haven't really thought, thought that far out, but um. I, I would, I think I see it more likely to happen in season because I feel like there's the, the, the roads start to separate where it's either a, Oh, Lonzo started to figure some stuff out and he's a key piece of what we're doing here, or you just don't see it. And they, but you still have a sneaking suspicion based on the talent that's available next summer that, that he's going to cost too much. And so why not move him to one of those teams that maybe is willing to pay him that and they can, you know, it, that maybe gives that team more options to, to, to go to in free agency in addition to Lonzo. So I, I think I'd lean towards the midseason, um, but in sign and trade next offseason being less likely.
Uh, I'd be curious to see what the market would be for him midseason, where they might they might need to wait for it to develop, like for some teams to sort of fall out of the race. Because I don't know that I see like obvious fits. Like Chicago's one, um, but I don't know what Chicago has that necessarily interest New Orleans. But I'm just going to be tracking the Lonzo situation um, and your mentions all season. Uh, <laughs> at this, I know this it's is funny. Honest, it, oh, go it, ahead. This, this, no, it's funny when you mentioned the Bulls because um, I, I I had a couple of running. Uh, comments with some of the Bulls folks that I know from up here and uh, up and up here. Well, where when you know, since I live in Chicago, about they, they feel very similarly about Laurie Markinen as as New Orleans uh, people I talk to feel about Lonzo. It's like, oh, let's just flip them. But uh, I don't know. I don't. And I, 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 it's a very intriguing concept. I feel like because Markinen can give you some of the floor spacing, but the question is like, how good do you think Laurie will act, can actually be? What's his ceiling? So, um, but it's just funny to hear both fan bases talk about those two players because it sounds a lot alike. Yeah, I'd more been thinking of like, would there be Lonzo plus like filler plus something small? Do they look at like a Zach Levine was the framework? I wouldn't touch Larry Markkinen, to be honest with you, although I guess he would fit if you trust Zion's defense. Like, I don't know how him and Zion would work defensively together. Probably not at all, but he does obviously provide that floor spacing. This question is going to be, I'm sure, fluid and purely matchup based, but what do you think is going to be their most common or best closing unit this season? Um, it's boring, and but I think it's the starting lineup. Um, okay. I, I think it's it, it's Bledsoe, Alonzo, Ingram, Zion, and Stephen Adams. I mean, yeah, you, you're, you're going to see certain matchup plays where maybe they're going to throw Hart in there or throw JJ for certain plays, but um, and but I think that's really most likely unless certain players make a make a jump. I don't expect like Nah or even Melly, um, but. But yeah, I mean, uh, most most commonly, I don't see a, a reason to go away from the away from the the starting five to, to close things out unless you've got to get like super switchy and, and think that it makes sense to to pull Adams out of there. Yeah, I would be interested to see if it Zion at the five could work in literally any of those situations. But if you need stops, then maybe we're, that's where that becomes an issue because all of a sudden you have Brandon Ingram at power forward or something. So mm-hmm. that's that's not great. Is there a, a let's get weird lineup that you'd like to see them try at some point this season? I mean, I'm I'm a big fan of the three yard. Uh, so like, I feel like um, I feel like Bledsoe with Lonzo and Josh Hart are is a lot of fun. And then maybe going with uh, you know, uh, yeah, the the, the 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 most fun weird lineups are always the ones that tend to be terrible on defense, right? Like, it's, yep. it's it's and so like I'm going with Hart and Lonzo because they can give you some defense and they can give you some rebounding from the guard positions, uh, which is nice and. Um, uh, but and and you can you, they can space the floor and then you put Ingram at the four and, and Zion at the five that that can get fun. Um, you better get stops in the perimeter though because uh, because once if a, if a guy gets past you, I'm not sure who's stopping him inside. Um, but but that would be, that'd be fun to me and it's also like probably like Lakers fan heaven with the three with the three Lakers players along with uh, Zion and Bledsoe. But um, but but yeah, I mean that that one's fun. Um, and hey, I mean I would the the I mean the most fun idea right is is not being being legit and having taking a huge leap in year two because he's got he's got the skill set that is fun if he if he turns out to be good. Um, and so I guess that's the X factor. But for now, yeah, that's what I'll go with. So mine was, and I think I built one that would be combustible at both ends of the floor, which I think is proof that it's super weird. Um, is Ingram, Zion, Hart, Naw, and Redick. And you don't have a point guard in there, but I'm just wondering if they can get enough out of, like, look, Redick has run pick and rolls over the past, like, few years pretty well. I'm wondering if you could get any out of Naw. There's Ingram, obviously. 
and some Zion, but I think it's not even just a matter of, Oh, they'll be bad on defense. There's a chance they'd be really bad on defense. There's a chance that they'd be terrible on offense as well. I think, see, I think now a point guard. Uh, I, I mean, I guess we haven't seen enough of him at the NBA level to truly know what position he's going to play besides his combo guard. But I mean, he's, he, I, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt and call him a point guard until he gives me enough of a reason to, to not do that. Um, yeah. Well, Hey, you don't have to talk me into it. I would swoon if I saw that. lineup. <laughs> uh, so what's a realistic win total and Western conference finish for this team's the last time I looked at their over under uh, they were at 35.5. And for people like myself who cannot think in terms of 72 games, that's the equivalent of about a 40 win season. Um, so where do you sort of land on that front? I mean, that's, that's about where I am. I, I, I think, I think the team's most likely outcome is, is something just, just under 500. And I, I think, I still think they're one of the top 10 teams in the West. And so I still, I can have them in the play in conversation. I mean, cause I think, um, I mean, the, the hard, the hard part is obviously what the hell is going on with Houston. Um, but I mean, yeah. Uh, I, 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 yeah, I've got them like just a, a, a game or two under 500, I think is, is the most, again, most realistic, but this team's got a, um, a fairly wide range of outcomes in the starts and ends of Zion's health. <laughs> so, um, if, if we assume like a relatively healthy season for, for Zion, then, then the, um, the, the variability standard deviation shrinks a decent amount. Um, but, uh, but yeah, not, not a sex, not a sexy choice, but it is like, it, it you know, I, I think that the West is so deep that it's hard to see the Pelicans making a huge dent unless they get like a, a, you know, unless Zion turns into this like top 15 NBA player in year two. Um, and, and Hey, that's, it's, I guess that's, that's not totally outlandish. Zion is a, just a freak of nature, but, yeah. um, but I mean, you look at like Lakers, Clippers, Nuggets, uh, you know, jazz, uh, Blazers. I mean, I think all six of those teams are comfortably better. Suns are um, going to be so good this year, I think. Right. Yeah. So I mean, like the, I, 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 I'm, I, I kind of, I went, I uh, think a little too far after the Chris Paul trade because I was like, Oh wait, hold on. Depth matters this year more than a lot of years because you have games happening relatively quickly during a pandemic. And so the Suns don't have much past their, their top. So, you, I mean, you've got Aiden Booker, Chris Paul and Bridges. And then after that, it gets real dicey real fast. Um, and so I'm, I'm, you know, I, I, I like them as a playoff team. I don't know if I love them as much as I, I, would, I did before around like, like I'm much more willing if I'm going to make like a crazy bet, it's that the Blazers are a top four seed this year. It, I, I feel, I think that's a deep, good team. That's going to be a really good regular season team too. And so like that, but, um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I still think, and this is the weird, the weird rivalry that's becoming a thing for New Orleans fans is the Grizzlies because Grizzlies fans are getting so annoyed with Zion getting all the type and John not getting nearly the same coverage. And like, as a New Orleans fan, you're just like, so, you just put your hands and be like, sorry, like it's not our choice. Like we're not, we're not <laughs> telling everyone to, to hype up Zion like this. And so like the Grizzlies fans get mad and like take it out on Pelicans fans. And so it's, it's like this budding rivalry and they're in the same division. So, but I still think New Orleans is, a better team uh, on paper than Memphis. And so I still want to put them ahead of Memphis. Um, so, yeah, I mean, like, I think, I, I think, um, you know, if they can get into the playing game and then get in, like win, like, knock out a couple teams ranked higher than them and get into the, the playoffs. And, you know, that'd be, that'd be a fun year for me. I did consider their, when I was trying to figure out their ceiling and floor, I did consider putting their floor as 10th. I ended up moving it to 11th just to account for like, some variants, maybe they do hold a fire sale or something. I don't know. But like when you look mm-hmm. at, I think the Kings have shown they're going to, and that the the Thunder already have like just steered out of the conversation entirely. I'd agree with your sentiments on Memphis. I think they're going to take a 
you know, just at their looking at their record, maybe Ja takes a step forward, but I think they take a step back overall because of how tough the West is. You don't have Jaron Jackson Jr. to start the season. Um, we don't know what Justice Winslow is going to look like or when he's going to play, and their wing depth isn't great. And so I'd be inclined to put New Orleans ahead of them. And then you just kind of have to figure, we, like you said, we don't know what's going on in Houston, but there's got to be like one team at least that's going to be worse than them aside from there. Like even Minnesota, I don't think they're going to be that good this year. I agree with your sentiments on Portland. Um, that would be a spicy take for me. I actually have the Suns. I might be higher on them. I think the the issue of Chris Paul is is fair, like in a truncated schedule, how many games does he play? But I like their depth, I guess, a little bit more than you do. Just I, I you know, Cam Johnson, Javon Carter, uh, Etuan Moore. I thought they just had a really good Sarich um, offseason. So, but I think the Pelicans – I would expect them to make the play and I only move their floor a little bit lower because I do feel like there's variance in how they view themselves, which could affect like what happens during the middle of the season. Yeah. Yeah. That's, um, that, that's certainly fair. And like one other thing that I think is super interesting with New Orleans and it's, it's similar conversation. I'm sure you would have uh, if you talked to, I don't know if you've done your Dallas preview yet, but um, the, both those teams were just so bad in crunch time that it's almost unsustainable. They've been are so bad again. I mean, Dallas is even weirder because they're like this elite offense that just was abysmal in crunch time. It just yeah. made no sense. And like at least with New Orleans, they were, they were like an average to slightly above average team in normal situations that that cratered in crunch time. But I I just can't see that repeating to the same degree, especially uh, under with more structure. Understand? I, I think their the results go better there, and their like net rating is much more in line with their record. And so I think that's that's something I I, I see improve this year too. It'd be really funny if Dallas was, well, I shouldn't say funny. Maybe that's mean. If Dallas was batting crunch time again, just because, yeah, okay, Luca, better decision making, that probably gives you a bump, but like they didn't necessarily improve the shot creation around <laughs> him, but not the Mavericks pod. Is there anything um, I didn't ask you about that you think we need to touch upon or something that's, you know, miscovered or misperceived about this team from a national perspective? No, I mean, I, I don't think so. I mean, I just, I, I think the one thing that I, I, lightly touched on before that has been I think I've gotten the most kind of surprise reactions to was the discussion around favors versus Steven Adams because favors has this pretty strong reputation as as a good defensive big man and it's just like and and the advanced stats in New Orleans kind of at at a high level aligns that given like what they look like with him on the floor versus off but in it's I just I couldn't feel more strongly about the upgrade from uh, favors to Steven Adams just because of just watching games and seeing that you know, seeing how, how favors look moving around and obviously certainly somewhat injury related, but it just looked like he was much older than the player I saw in, in Utah. And um, I mean, the rim protection numbers are way down and a lot of other stuff that he just, that Steven Adams just does better. And so I'm very excited for that, that switch um, on, on and off the floor. And I think that's going to, you know, he's, he's, his teams are always better when he's on the floor and his Thunder teams have been, he's just, um, you know, I feel like you go around the league and you can't find anyone that'll say a bad thing about the guy. And I, I'm, I'm just really, I, I think that he's going to offset the, the downgrade from Drew to Bledsoe more than people give credit to. And so like, that's, that's one thing I'm looking for. And now, now watch as a typical New Orleans team, he'll get injured in like the third game of the season because I've said all that. That's, that's, that's New Orleans. That's, that's what we come to expect with this team, but hopefully not. Well, I think I like the offensive fit with Adams. If you're going to have like the non-shooting type big besides Zion, I, I like Adams better than favors. Yep. Maybe a healthier favors is, could be, there's a path to him being better defensively. But you know, the other thing with his swings, looking at those on off numbers for favors, like they like they were working with a very low baseline, like when he came back like yeah. from his initial injury. Yeah. And so like, that's going to naturally, if you're competent, like that's just going to uplift by default because there's the, how much worse can you get factor? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, yep. Exactly. 
But Mason, this was great. Thank you for giving me so much of your time. So close to the season, mind you. Um, I, that was not my expectation. I thought this was going to leak into the regular season. If you guys are not following Mason on Twitter, remedy that post haste. He's at Mason Ginsburg. That's at M-A-S-O-N-G-I-N-S-B-E-R-G. He is the co-host of the Blue Wire podcast in the know and the occasional writer for Bourbon Street Shots. Again, follow him on Twitter. Uh, Mason, thank you so much uh, for doing this. I always love talking Pelicans with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. This is great. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.